October is here. It feels nice and chill and good. I don't believe you're from St. Louis if you don't talk about the weather at least every once in a while because the weather here, quite frankly, is insane. Up, down, give it five minutes, give it 10 minutes. It's going to be something different that you weren't expecting when you pulled on your pants or shorts this morning. And uh, this October is definitely agreeing with that philosophy. It's looking pretty steady now, you know. I don't see 80 degrees popping up anytime soon, and I'm I'm decently happy about that. I think there is no other place that you can beat from the Midwest in its transitionary months, uh, spring, fall. Once they kind of get in locked in in that groove, maybe it's only a week long, maybe it's only a month long, but once you have it, there is no other place on earth that is better to be than right here. The leaves are changing. There's a crispness in the air. I think I said that last month, but whatever. It's just awesome. Autumn in the Midwest is awesome. I enjoy it. Oktoberfest, you know, who doesn't like drinking liters of beer all at once? (laughs) Uh, I used to. Now a liter of beer sounds like a workout. And plus it gets flat by the end of the stein. You know what I mean? Like if you're drinking 30 ounces of beer, Those last four ounces are going to taste like spit, no matter how good that beer is. So I'm not necessarily sold on the Stein drinking method, aside from the novelty and, uh, you know, the German, the Germanic presence of a a friggin' hefty glass. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, Oktoberfest is sweet. I have not been drinking beer lately because I have a weird... Uh, skin condition. Is this too personal for a podcast? I don't know. It might be. Um, it's called Tinea Versicolor and it basically produces too much yeast on your skin. So I'm trying a little experiment where I'm not drinking beer. I'm trying to eat less sugar and see if I can get rid of this weird, weird kind of sometimes itchy thing that leaves your pigment of your skin depigmented. So if you have a tan, it shows up as these white spots everywhere. It's pretty standard. A lot of people go through it. I'm not really worrying about it too much, but I've had it for long enough to where I'm kind of tired of it. So I am sacrificing the drinking of beer and some sweets in an attempt to starve this yeast beast, this yeasty boy from my body. Uh, last night, I went to go see Joker and... I, there's a couple things I don't understand. Uh, one is how you could think that the acting in this movie is anything short of brilliant. Joaquin Phoenix is insane in the best way. Uh, the story is incredible, especially for anyone who is mildly interested in the uh, origin story of Batman. Um, no spoilers here, but you know that's obvious. It's Joker. He came from Batman. Uh, The other thing I don't understand is why people are thinking that this movie will incite violence. Again, I'm not going to talk about it, maybe here on a future podcast with a friend of mine, but uh, you need to check it out for yourself. It's wonderful to watch. Uh, It's just a lesson in acting, a lesson in taught storytelling, and I think it's incredible. I I really liked it. Um, Trying to, you know, get the other side as I always am want to do and, and take into consideration what people are saying about why they don't like it. But at this point I haven't heard or read or seen a good argument against 
that movie. It's just fucking great. Uh, also this weekend, I went to the second part of a very long play called Angels in America at the Webster Repertory Theater. I saw part one a week ago. It intrigued me enough to come and see the second half, which is three hours long. Both halves are three hours. So you're basically binge watching a play for seven hours. Um, and it had to be good enough to you know keep your interest. And it really was. I used to go to plays a lot as a kid. And I haven't been back for a while just because I kind of got tapped out on them and the performances weren't always great. So it was hard to kind of have that level of escapism that you want whenever you're taking in a, a movie or a, a television series or a novel. You know, I, I was having a hard time kind of extracting the performer from the performance. But this did a great job in kind of uh, rebooting how I look at plays in general and the design, the stage design, the set design was incredible. The story was really interesting. There were a lot of um, um, insane moments of extra long exposition from some of the talent that I don't even begin to know how they'd be able to understand all of those lines. And it was really a joy to behold about the um, AIDS epidemic in the 80s and uh, a supernatural aspect, supernatural influence at looking at it while, um, you know, maintaining a healthy level of uh, joking uh, in, in that respect. I think it's also an HBO series from 15 years ago. So I look forward to catching up on that. Uh, this weekend was especially crazy and worth mentioning. I, um, on Friday night, went to a, uh, a fashion opening for Alexander McQueen and got to wear uh, one of the Blues championship rings. And this sucker is huge. It probably had to weigh half a pound. Uh, it was from the owner, Tom Schlafly. He happened to be at the same thing. And one thing led to another, and I'm wearing this giant Blues ring on my finger. And I don't really care about trophies or, you know, championships. Or honestly, I don't. I'm, a, I'm definitely a fair weather fan when it comes to sports in general. I watch everything when it hits the playoffs with a renewed vigor and interest because I do find it fascinating when it actually means something instead of just being one of the uh, standard games of the season. You know, when there's something on the line, it makes way more sense to me. That's why my favorite sporting event would be the World Cup. There's countries literally fighting for more than just a gold cup. They're fighting for recognition and pride and uh, values representing a lot of different things, you know, and it's the international sport. It's the sport that is popular everywhere, starting to finally gain more and more popularity back in the States. And I come from a soccer family, so there's also that aspect to it. Uh, The next day, I went flying in a prop plane, six-seater prop plane, a Piper, down to Viburnum, Missouri for old miners days. That was fascinating. Uh, There was a small community together, very heavily church influenced with skits and songs and no alcohol. (laughs) Um, But the reason we went down there was to check out a tour of an act of mine, 1,000 feet in the belly of the earth. And that was fascinating. Really cool to see that uh, that lifestyle, that career that a lot of people choose to take. There's only about 120 people working in this mine. 
Um, and I'm not sure why they opened the doors to it. You know, a little passive PR, maybe trying to get people invested in it, some community involvement in what some of their uh, majority men do. But it was fascinating. Uh, I learned a lot about mining and what extra extracts they were pulling in terms of lead and zinc and copper from the earth and the process into which it goes basically over to China to make batteries. So that was cool. After that trip, flying back from Viburnum the same day, narrowly avoiding the path of a storm, we landed and took uh, my friend Jason's Zodiac boat into the Mississippi River before a little... Engine troubles made us just float down the Mississippi, staring up at the sky. It was frigging gorgeous, a real delight, uh, a real great way to spend a Saturday. Aside from that, man, I don't know, just living, L-I-V-I-N, especially with my boy Tyler on this next podcast. We get into his work, his beautiful artwork, his illustration, his design, and how he got to the place where he is now working on publications such as Wired and, uh, and some bands that have see, uh, sought national acclaim. He's really talented. We talk a little bit about him, and we get into my educational history for a, a brief spell there, too. I think this is one of the key interviews that I've done that, to help younger people understand what they can do and not necessarily feel so tied to making a decision in college and having to live with it for the rest of their lives. Tyler is a great example of that. I think I'm a decent example of that. We also talk about Eric Gill, the famous typographer who had sex with dogs. Yeah, so it's a good one. Buckle up. What's up? What's up? We're doing it. Okay. What's up, Jazzy boy? nice in here. This is good. Is it? Feels good? Feels comfortable? Thanks for having me. Laid back? Of course. Uh, no, I feel very uptight and nervous, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just take a pole off that bush light a little bit more. I'll do that. <laughs> so, uh... No, I feel good. Thanks for having me. This is very flattering. <laughs> you're flattering. It's, it's flattering for you to say that this is flattering because... This no, is it's an honor, really. Just it's... to get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> It's a podcast in my studio, and we're just cool. basically recording one conversation amongst the many that we've had. Yeah, we've had a few now. We've had some good ones. How long have we been hanging out? It has been years now. Yeah, I officially. Think we probably met in 2013. That or sounds so. about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Through the, the legend Michael Hurst. Of course. Yeah, the, uh, the night I ended up on the back of the couch <laughs> like a cat with my arm around you like uh like a kate winslet <laughs> <laughs> yeah and someone did take a photo but yeah so there's uh the first night that tyler and i met we were was it oh we were just hanging out i don't remember all the details before that this is a little fuzzy were we just hanging out or was it some like, it could have been one of party. michael's party at yeah. his uh former company ruckus and those that's where had, we ended up yeah, and mm-hmm. I it was the first night we met, and we're just all chilling, vibing off each other, and t- Tyler's like laying on the back of this couch that has a very wide and long um, top to it, Yeah, I guess is the best way to put it, Yeah, and I'm just sitting there, and 
you like drape your arm around me and Michael took a photo. I'm like, this is kind of cool. I'm feeling this. I don't know this guy, but that's how, that's my first impression of you. Just very casual, very comfortable. Mm. And uh, it's kind of stuck with ever since. Yeah, we were having a good good time. I know that. Yeah, always. And, uh, yeah, it was a good start to our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's been very sensual ever since. <laughs> uh, well, that's unbeknownst to me. Uh, so I've been thinking about it. <laughs> this podcast is going to get interesting. Yeah, and sexy. So. <laughs> you just keep this. Right there. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, so there's a lot of reasons I wanted you to come on the podcast. One, I think you're very talented. Um, Thank you. We've worked together now as well. Yep. And uh, I love the sound of your voice. That's insane. <laughs> oh, I can't stand it. It is but not insane. This will be a good way to get over that, maybe. Yeah. For me. Dude, you got the best um, cadence I guess would be the word, like a trumpet, like a beautiful trumpet that just sounds like anything you say has a particular ring to it. Kind of like, uh, I always use Jack Black as an example. Like okay. anything Jack Black says could sound funny. Like he could be reading off a list of deadly cancers and you know, the people who have suffered from them and just the way that he like phrases things and, and, and says them to you. It's just funny. And that's not necessarily what you have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but like anytime you say something, I feel very happy and relaxed and like we're just chilling, having a great time. Okay. Well, that means a lot. I try to keep it chill. Yeah, you do, man. You got that like Southern California surfer drawl. Yeah. That I lived there for Lewis. almost two years. <laughs> that's right. Does it, but you didn't pick it up there. It's like you. No. It. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I don't try to listen to it. I think it's <laughs> annoying, um, but I'm glad you like it. That's great. Well, this podcast has helped me realize that I was talking last week to Indiana Rome, a man who I think has the smoothest, silkiest, deepest voice, just like sex to your ears to listen to. And he was talking about how he hated his voice. Really? Well, yeah, I think everyone does. Do you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're probably getting used to it now. No. You, I think you sound great. It, no. As a host, it I works think, well. Well, I appreciate that. But I, when I'm going back through these, I hear the weird way I pronunciate things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just then I said back or like a little too weirdly. And I just get caught up in it. And I'm like, why do you sound like a goddamn moron when you're talking? You know, these just you're talking. Don't overthink it. And I'm not overthinking it maybe I'm overthinking it when I'm listening back to it. Yeah. Um, does it, it you're okay with listening to it? No. To get no. through it, to edit it. Well, yeah. Is it painful a little bit after, um, you know, the few that I've done, it's starting to recess into the background a little bit and I'm not as annoyed. I'd have to imagine it gets normal after a while. Like all these people on the radio and doing podcasts forever, yeah. they get, they get used to it. Right. Or maybe they like it right off the bat, which well, is, well, the yeah, I mean that's Can't pretty narcissistic type of people. But. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I think it. Um, I think the whole process is hearing your voice in your head, and then reconciling it with your voice not being in your head when you hear it, and just 
you know, knowing that there's a middle ground between those two things and you can be comfortable with it. Yeah. Uh, I'll never get over the fact of saying something. And then when I'm listening back to it, like that's not right. Or, you know, that was just kind of inaccurate or you're kind of a dick or yeah. (laughs) And that's the whole point why I listen back to them torturously so that I can hopefully get better at this whole thing. Well, and people have been listening to you or I or anyone talk forever. They know how you sound. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's going to shock anyone else. No, that's true. (laughs) I'm I'm shocked. My sister and I, we talk about once a week. She lives in uh, on the East coast and she'll give me a, 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 a big rundown on this, on, on each interview. And it takes after listening to the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and very thoughtful and very considerate. And it's kind of funny because um, her and other family members uh, have told me that like, I'd never understood why you thought that way until I started listening to you on the podcast hmm. or why you held these certain beliefs or yada, yada, yada. And so it's it's been a funny way of connecting with my family of them listening to this podcast. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Because I think... I know you talk about your mom. Yeah, I talk about my mom. Happy birthday. Yeah, Beverly. Uh, (laughs) I guess it's been a while now. That was back in April. Uh, (laughs) My dad just had his uh, 78th birthday. Here we go. But he does not listen to podcasts. I don't know. Not even yours? Maybe if I show him how. But uh, he's now, he's just getting into like streaming services and uh, he's on his Kindle Fire And watching uh, Amazon Prime shows and and uh, I don't he listens unfortunately his podcast is Rush Limbaugh oh and yeah. uh, have you ever listened to Rush Limbaugh you know I no I haven't that's a good thing because um, he's been on the air now for like seventy fucking years so your dad was able to find his podcast or he just listens no I mean he has Rush, a radio show he has a radio show that's yeah. been on forever right and I don't even think my dad listens like agrees with him, but he just listens to it out of habit. And it, and I'm just like, dad, you're just letting all this garbage go into your, go into your head and you're not giving it anything to balance it out with. Hmm. So, I mean, does he just have it on, in the background for, yeah, to be comfortable? I mean, yeah, I put while a he's exercising on while I'm work. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, maybe it's, yeah, but it, <laughs> he's baseball not, game is not saying controversial <laughs> statements about the majority. But if it makes people. him feel comfortable, uh, you know, actually, I was watching a baseball game with him last week, very randomly, and um, the announcers were Jim Edmonds mm-hmm. and uh, whoever else is on TV. Is that Joe Buck? Maybe. Um. No. Uh. Dan McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Yeah. And I think it was Jim Edmonds. He was saying something about um how uh people don't recite the national anthem correctly or how he gets pissed off when people aren't saying the national anthem or doing it. I'm like, this is a, really, yeah. I'm like, Jimmy needs to, <laughs> Jimmy needs to stay in his lane. Yeah. There's a certain amount of, uh, <laughs> neutrality of you need to have banter. Yeah. Right. If you're, you know, calling a, a ball game. Although there's, you know, there's still, we are in the Midwest to, uh, God and, <laughs> God and country. They're giving everyone their blessings and stuff. So yeah, I, I wonder what like uh, you know what the football announcers were saying when Kaepernick was taking the knee. I don't know. On radio, radio, uh, yeah, football's on radio as well. Yeah, but um, 
They were probably applauding Tim Tebow taking the knee. And they probably, <laughs> I would imagine, didn't even talk about it. I, I, I didn't watch right. those games. I heard about it. I don't know that the camera was on him during the, that moment. I couldn't yeah. imagine them being. Because normally, like, <clears throat> at a ball game, if there's a streaker or someone who jumps on the field, mm-hmm. they all the cameras turn away. Yeah. So any sort of controversy. Which is silly. It is silly because <laughs> that's, but it makes sense. Know, we want to see that. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the NFL does. The, you know, what's something interesting I read was that, um, the national anthem wasn't even televised, um, at football games until, and I may be wrong. I may need to do some fact checking on this until the military became a, um, corporate sponsor. Oh yeah. I believe that. And then in a way to kind of reinforce patriotism and recruiting, they started televising the national anthem. And then it became a big ordeal that Colin Kaepernick was taking the knee because it was televised and people all of a sudden could see what was going on. Yeah. And then like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just making a very quiet, subtle statement about police brutality. Right. Why are you taking a fucking knee when you're doing it? That's disrespectful to the flag. Yeah. So I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. You know what? But I wasn't watching football. I I don't really want, I'm a very, I don't watch football either. Yeah. I I think that was the greatest thing that happened that season. (laughs) Well, you know, I have, um, I don't love it and I don't hate it. Like I don't, I, I think that he's, it's the first amendment and I know that he's an employee and this is a topic from like two years ago. I don't know why we're talking about this right now, Right. but I still talk to friends that have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, fucking Nike. I bet uh, they don't even want to put uh, the American flag on their stuff anymore. And it's just, it's so silly to me because it's, um, you know, like it's, it's his right to say something and he's not even making that big deal about it. You know, he's not, uh, he was taking a knee right. for Christ's sake. Yeah. Could have gone totally unnoticed. Yeah. Or he could have done something way more flamboyant or even disrespectful. And I think it was the most subtle gesture ever that just escalated and snowballed into the talking point we have today on this podcast. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Politics. I don't even know how we got into it. I pretty much, none of my podcasts have gotten political or, or, well, we don't have to do that today. Yeah. We don't either. I would prefer not to. I, yeah, I agree. We Uh, can talk about the white house if you want. Well, you know what? I do think that some of your work, uh, I, I love your work. That's Thank what you. we should talk about. And I think you have a good um, approach in addressing certain political uh, feelings and emotions. Uh, and then you also balance it very well with like a playful feeling and yeah. almost nostalgia. And what I want to talk about is kind of, okay, how did you, one, get into this illustration field? And then how did you kind of refine your style? Uh because out of everyone that I've talked to so far, you photographers, illustrators, designers, mm-hmm. um, you maybe have the strongest personal style. Do you think? I do. Okay. Like I see your work and I immediately know that it's you. And as someone who has never had a style or has even shied away from the idea of having a personal style, mm-hmm. I'm very interested into uh, in seeing how you came upon that and and what your your route was. So like, what did um when did you first start illustrating? Like way back in 
young young days like all of us uh yeah although i didn't i didn't know really what illustration was mm-hmm. or that you could have a job like that i think it was commercial art was way off of my radar i had, i didn't know about it. even until college uh i can get to that but yeah i just like drawing like most kids and kind of had this abundance of creativity and ideas were just there and it's funny because when i was young i was drawing i was drawing like hockey jerseys and logos for hockey teams i would make up and like um, goalie helmets with the artwork on there and you know i didn't know it no one was around to tell me like oh you know you could be designing stuff you could make a career out of that i i didn't yeah see it that way it was just i was doing that and then i was drawing whatever ninja turtles and dinosaurs Mm and all this shit but i i had a you know, I was still like drawing type at a young age as well. Uh-huh. Which I think that's kind of a more unique aspect. If like kids are drawing type, you know, because it type typography is more of a somewhat, you know, hidden art mm-hmm. form, especially to the younger people. Yeah. Well, I was uh I was always fascinated with like street art and graffiti writers. Mm, okay. And uh you know, that was all typography. I didn't recognize it then, you know, it was just these funky letters. And a lot of times it was really unrecognizable, but I think I was drawn to the fact that it was typography. What age, like, do you remember kind of copying or drawing some of this stuff? Oh, probably like sixth grade when I got into the graffiti writers and stuff. And then definitely middle school and nice. Yeah. Just trying to, and I think I had older sisters and they had older friends who were actually doing graffiti and I would find myself around them and looking at their sketchbooks and stuff. So it was pretty influential to me really. So I tried like mimicking that sort of style, these traditional sort of graffiti letters and things. Um, like the wild style kind of, yeah, yeah. All the stuff, arrows and this geometric stuff and then, you know, more organic forms. And I don't know. I was just seeing a lot of it. I think, uh, I was just always drawn to it on trains and mm-hmm. wherever on the streets. Um, so that was a big, big influence for me. Um, but yeah, again, I didn't know what illustration or design was at this point. It wasn't even until college. I went to, when I went to college, I was a drawing major mm-hmm. just for lack of any other direction. <laughs> I was kind of a shithead and like smoking <laughs> too much weed. And like, I was even like, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to college. And my parents are like, you know, well, you, you, you should go. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to be a drawing major. They're like, all right, yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I did a lot of like wising up in my first year of college. Like yeah. did a whole year of fine arts, Where'd um, you go? Missouri state okay. university in Springfield. It was called Southwest Missouri state. Mm-hmm. for one semester when I was there and then they changed the name. Um, so yeah, I did a, a whole year. Uh, I even took a, a drawing class my senior year of high school at Merrimack. So I like mm-hmm. was able to get into drawing to first year of college. And I'm a terrible drawer, by the way, like <laughs> all the, all the while I can't draw well. Yeah. So yeah, it's just sort of like, you know, a shot in the dark. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a, give it a go. And yeah, I did a whole year of it, realized after that year or during that year that that wasn't going to cut it. Like <laughs> I've got to sort of figure out a path that's going to work. And 
I was doing my critique, uh, final critique with my drawing professor who like kind of hated me. I was terrible in the class. Like Mm -hmm. I was seeing all these people, these students excel and kind of realized that it wasn't like going to work for me. So I'm just kind of bumming the whole semester. This teacher doesn't like me. Like, you know, he's showing interest in these other students and I'm, I can kind of tell that I'm at the bottom of the class (laughs) and it's just not going to work. So we have a, uh, individual critique with the professor at the end of the semester. He ends up being super nice and like, uh, you know, saying some nice stuff about my work. And I think he gives me a B and I, at the end of it, I tell him that I got a, I got to figure something else out. And he was the one who suggested the illustration program, which still at this point, I really don't know much about illustration or commercial <laughs> art. Like I'm living under a rock. Most of my young well, uh, life. What, what was your, so you say you weren't a good drawer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the academic sense, in the know. academic sense, what was like some of your favorite pieces in the decade prior to college? Like what were some things that you drew in your journal that you're like, Hey, that's, that's pretty decent. Yeah. They were kind of silly things. They were little mm-hmm. characters. They were way like, you know, more, um, they were really stylized. Yeah. They weren't drawn from, uh, life. Mm-hmm. weren't modeled in light and shade. They, I wasn't, you know, I did do some of that. I, did, you know, just growing up in whatever, uh, drawing classes you do your still lifes and your whatever. Um, I was never in, into it. I got decent at it, but I wouldn't practice it enough to be, you know, to really excel. Uh, so yeah, those things that I had sort of in my portfolio, I guess in mm-hmm. high school or before college were, yeah, these really stylistic things, almost cartoony, um, kind of silly characters and odd, more flat, like 2d. Yeah. But I think at that time I was still trying to force some sort of, um, academia, you know, I was still trying to fake it. Like yeah. I can make, uh, I can make this silly character, but I think I could model it like, uh, like real life maybe. Um, so yeah, I, I was still like uncomfortable. I hadn't figured anything out. So yeah, my shit was everywhere. And and so drawing classes then, um, because I've never taken a drawing class either, but I definitely drew a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Is it more formal in terms of um, understanding depth and uh, shape and like drawing, you know, your, your basic... Um, yeah, a sphere or a cube or whatever. And then applying, like, is it more realistic based, would you say? Yeah, or naturalistic. Yeah, it was in my experiences for sure, especially in those beginner courses. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of learning the same thing. Are you working on a still life for a week or two weeks or three weeks or something? It's, yeah. Jesus Christ, working on a still life for three weeks? It's insane. Um, well, yeah, that's how that course I took at Merrimack was. Uh-huh. It, yeah, it was like still life's the whole semester. Um, That's got it. It, was, it was terrible. It was probably a waste of my time, really. I mean, I, I can't say that. It, it was a good experience to work with, you know, the charcoals and the sure, whatnot, yeah. but smudge sticks. Yeah, but it was all sort of, yeah, like that. They're just teaching you how to, how to model with light and shade and uh, 
I don't, I don't think it's until later in drawing courses, like drawing three and, and that in college that they sort of let you have a little more personality mm-hmm. um, and let you develop that. I think up until then, it's sort of like, no, you're doing it wrong. Got to do it this way. But I never quite got there. That's why I, the last drawing course I took, it was, yeah, kind of a nightmare. And so then your advisor, I guess, recommended that you should get into illustration? No, it wasn't even uh, my advisor. Um, it was the the drawing teacher I had at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did our critique like alone in his office. He ended up being a great great guy, super nice. Like Mm -hmm. we went through my work and he said, you know, like I said, he said some good things and gave me a B, but I, yeah, I kind of vented. I was like, I don't know. I'm freaking out. This isn't going to work. And yeah, he was the one he said, why don't you head over to the design department? Um, illustration might be something you could be interested in. And I think I might've jetted over there like that day. He's like, you got to go like try to get into this program because today, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I yeah, as I recall, he's like, because it fills up, and if you get left behind, you'll be a semester back. And how many how many kids do you think go into college saying, "I want to be an artist. I'm going to start taking drawing one, drawing two, and then what they're actually looking for is illustration. Yeah, I'm not sure. I probably I would ima- I would imagine yeah, or I would say a lot of them are a little wiser than I was when I got in, they maybe, or at least had someone around Mm -hmm. to direct them that before direct them in that way before they got into school, you know, Oh, check out the illustration program. Um, but yeah, I, I would guess there's a lot of kids who sort of go in aimlessly like me just, and as a drawing major, you take a, you do the whole gamut of fine arts, you know, ceramics and oils and, you know, sculpture. And so, yeah, I would say within that first year, a lot of kids are, figuring something out sure they're either they either are getting it and it's going to work or they're freaking out and something else is going to work or you know they leave i don't know yeah i mean i've i've thought about going back and um like right when i graduated i was still young and so i went back to merrimack Mm -hmm. um and that's where you graduated from no i went to merrimack when i was uh, younger. And then I transferred to another university, Maryville Uh university. Okay. And then I went back to Merrimack to, because I was 20 and I didn't really know what to do with my life. Yeah. And so I started taking 3d modeling Mm -hmm. and, uh, video production. Um, and so now I've, you know, uh, I, I remember reading about when James Franco went back to school and was taking like 40 credit hours a semester and all this shit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I could do that and get into writing and I do some drawing and more, you know, yeah. filmmaking. And even then, in it, even then it's like drawing, it, it's hard to define the boundary between drawing and illustration. Yeah, for sure. Even for someone like me, who's been, you know, in the arts for a good long time of his life. It's like, how do you really define that? Um, and so what would you, what was your biggest realization going into illustration then? Like, I don't have to be able to draw that fucking banana and grapes. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of exactly it. It was like, oh, wow, I can do these silly drawings. I can, you know, use different techniques and I can flatten it out and I could ignore all this shit that I've been learning for you know, years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just clicked. I was, it clicked almost immediately. Like early illustration classes. I was like, Oh yeah, hell yeah. 
Like Did this, you have teachers that kind of like, I had great teachers. That's awesome. And that's, that's the crazy thing. I think the art program, the fine arts program at Missouri state was probably pretty good at, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the design program was excellent. I had no clue. I had no cool. idea. Um, yeah, they were all, they happened to be these Eastern European professors that all kind of followed each other over to Springfield, Missouri. And, uh, yeah, they were wild. They, yeah, they had some of the best mentors and teachers ever. I just like fell into it. It was great. That's crazy. Um, I did not have that experience. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, just, I would say Maryville has, uh, become a way different institution than it was when I was going there. And, um, I think they've just put a lot more focus on important, um, fine, uh, not fine arts, but like design and, and everything associated with it. They produced a ton of talent mm-hmm. over the past decade. Yeah. And I felt like I was at the beginning of all that stuff becoming gotcha. really good. Yeah. Um, but not when it was mm-hmm. in its peak. <laughs> Did you, I mean, you got something out of it though. I did. Um, and I was young too and I had no idea what I was doing, Yeah, but they allowed me to construct my own study. Um, so I majored in an independent study. Oh wow. And it was, uh, <laughs> did you get an A? <laughs> well, yeah, no, it was an independent study in digital media <laughs> and philosophy. Wow. It was a cool. dual major kind of yeah, like yeah, philosophy and then independent study in digital media. Okay. And like, what was digital media? Like? Anything that I determined would fit within it and that my advisor would agree. Cool. <laughs> so it was like mixed media stuff, a lot of like video film stuff. Yeah, but they didn't have those resources. Mm-hmm. So uh, ironically, the community college that I went to had more resources than the four year university. And like, I've always thought that and I completely stumbled into this basically because of my mother. Um, and my father worked at the, at Merrimack at the community college. So I was able to go to community college for nothing, you know, nice. yeah, just books and, uh, credit hours were, I don't even know, 15 bucks credit hour, maybe not even. And then, um, which they're not even that expensive in the community college to begin with. Sure. 15 bucks though. That's I'll go back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just and, for, and not, I don't, I think it was like 15 bucks a class or something, but, um, which is, makes sense. Like if you work at Wash U, your kids can go there for free. Right. Um, but the, um, the university, well, I only ended up going there for two years, had the smallest student loans ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how come everybody doesn't do this? Get all of your basics out of the way first at community college, you know, get your fucking intro to algebra and foreign language and oral communications and things you're not, you, yeah. you're not really amped about. Yeah. get that oral communications out of the way. Yeah. Don't and, spend $800 on it or right. whatever. And, and then go to university when you know what you want to do. And to me, like, well, they get you when you're young and you don't know any better. I, I wish, ne- I mean, they do. And my mom was, I don't know if she knew that she was this forward thinking. I think she did. You know, I should, she's going to be listening to this. So she's going to give me some shit. I think she knew that. And I think she was kind of ahead of the curve because she's like, why do you want to go to university for four years spending 10, 20 grand a year um, on the basics? When you can go to community college, you got the same teachers. Right. And you're learning the same things, mm-hmm. maybe better. 
you just can't get the bachelor's degree. You have to get your associate degree and then transfer over to university yeah, to cares? get your bachelor. Right. Yeah, if I had the foresight, I I would have uh, taken some time and just grown up on my own. Like I spent college growing up. Like, I think everybody does. Yeah. Like there was <laughs> there were things that I was learning in college that didn't click until years after I got out of college. Yeah. You know, I I didn't I wasn't appreciating it. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I always say my college experience started when I graduated. And I was right. um I was like 20 when I got out and then I had some friends at the state school at Mizzou and you Just know Just having a blast. Having a blast. I go down there and I remember the first visit. I'm like, this this is fucking college. Right. You know, like right. there's a keg right there. Mm-hmm. We're under age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just hanging out, talking. It's an expensive keg. It wasn't. It, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, but I mean, relatively. In terms of the tuition costs. and Right. But it would have been cheaper for me to have gone to the state school than to have gone to the small university down the highway. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember instantaneously thinking like, I should have just gone here. This is ridiculous. I would probably party 10 times more. Yeah. Anyways, this isn't about me, but I did try to like get after that experience. I'm like, I'm going to get my master's at Mizzou in photojournalism and just have a great time. Yeah. Wait, did you do that? No, it didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I applied and... And, um, I applied for, um, sorry, sorry to go off on this tangent. That's okay. The ultimate idea here is that I think it's valuable for potentially younger listeners to hear about our educational experiences to be like, you don't have to spend a shit ton of money right. to go to a university when you don't know what you want to do in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to spend a ton of money to figure out what you what you're doing. Right. You can figure that out for free. <laughs> One. Well, so every time somebody talks about should college be free? I'm like, we have these things called community colleges and it's the same thing. The credit hours are the exact same as if you go to Harvard. Okay. You're, right. You're paying, I don't know what it is, but a fraction of the amount that you would pay to go to Harvard or Washington university. So Yeah. yeah. That is what it is. It doesn't. You hear it? My, you heard it here, kids. My failed master's uh, attempt is of no consequence. It's another story for another time. Okay. I'm. Uh, you should do it, though. What? Get my master's? Yeah, photojournalism. Well, You're I, a great photographer. I Well, I appreciate that. Um, I think your photos are very editorial and tell these cool stories. I think you would fit right in. Thank you. Um, the irony is that I didn't get accepted into the photojournalist program mm-hmm. uh, because the the um, head of it didn't like, or he said, he said my photos were too centered. Uh, my subjects that? were all centered. Oh, like compositionally. Compositionally. Interesting. And, um, and it seems very, actually yeah. this is a much longer and more boring story that I won't kill your ears with. Originally, I I went to apply for the master's in graphic design, Mm. went through the entire process only to find out uh, at Mizzou, Mizzou. only to find out that it didn't exist. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was going to say, that, is that a good program? Well, and they're like, we're looking for the most ideal applicant to be the first uh, master's student in the design program. And I'm like... Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. I just took a GMAT and like brushed up on all my math and sciences and all this mm. bullshit. And they could have told me that like they didn't even have a program yet. And so then I said, okay can I just take all my uh, application stuff and put it over into photo, uh, into photojournalism? I'm like, sure. So I did that. Uh-huh. And they said, no, nope, your photos are too central. Uh, or the, the subject matter is too centrally. Uh, That's an odd criticism. It is, especially to be kept out of an entire um, program. So the irony right. is that... It's like something you could easily work on. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. Uh, the irony is that the first job I had eventually evolved into me doing photojournalism work. And I ended up traveling all over the world, India, Cambodia, Africa, uh, Italy was in Italy for a month doing photojournalism work. And so it was kind of like, okay, what the, what's the fucking point of college in the first place? Right. (laughs) That was your first like job job or it was a freelance gig or no, 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 no. No, it was, um, it's something that I evolved into. Again, this is, this podcast is supposed to be about you. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> we can split it. Trust me. <laughs> the, um, so I was at, uh, it's funny when you were talking about, talking about drawing the, talking about, talking about, mm-hmm. drawing the still life for two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. I was thinking back to being in the photo lab, trying to nail an exposure, a film exposure and printing out like 60 sheets of fiber paper trying to like dodge and burn the photo correctly. Yeah. And all it was was like a railroad spike on the fucking railroad tracks. Yeah. And you needed it perfect. I need it perfect. I feel like we we might have some similar OCD tendencies or we get... Definitely. I mean, I definitely get hung up on details that do not matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, A, a lot of times in my work and like little like yeah, you've worked me, so you know that I have it. Yeah, I mean, no, you you were easy to work with, but um, I'm like that. I will like, like, you know, mess around with a little piece of a composition for way too long when yeah. no like no one else is gonna look at that. Uh uh-uh. uh But and I do it for like yeah, the whole the whole piece. I could probably cut down the time I'm working on things by a lot if I just like relaxed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And uh, you like that a little? Definitely. Yeah. Um, more so in the past and more so before I feel like I had any talent. I think it was a struggle to get to the place where um, what was in my head was what I was seeing on the computer screen. Mm-hmm. And I was always so frustrated. And I'm like, I'll just keep tweaking it or right. keep trying something else out. Yeah. Because this isn't matching the you know, Sistine Chapel that I see in my head. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then ironically, the more I stopped freaking out over the details, I think the better I got. And there is a whole nother aspect of what you say of just like being laid back that needs to enter into your work. Right. um, And to where you just need to make more of it. It's less about perfecting certain pieces of work than it is about finishing it and moving on to the next thing and learning the lessons. Definitely. Oh, and with visual stuff, um, you know, we're working on it for so long, but it's only, you know, people are going to look at it for a short amount of time. Yeah. So it's like the general gist is what's important. Like these little things don't 
don't matter. Even though it's nice and, uh, you know, people definitely appreciate that. And I am mm-hmm. one. I like to look at things and, yeah. and even, you know, in illustration or design work, I like to see the fine-tuned details. But ultimately, there's, there's an idea there mm-hmm. and an execution. And if it works, it works. Yeah. And I think the, you know, I think when you start catering to other illustrators and designers, you're starting to lose the point a little bit. But again, as you get older, I think you get better at blending like the finesse and the details. Um, like this podcast, for example, like there are tons of much more popular podcasts that are done over. I've never heard one. <laughs> get out of here. They're done over a telephone or Skype. But mm-hmm. to me, I, when I had the idea of doing a podcast, I'm like, okay, I want this to sound legit. And it still doesn't sound legit to me. But it sounds it, good. But it's from like what I've heard. I want it to have a certain level of quality. Right. And the older you get, you get better at just saying, okay, I know what I can do. We'll just start with that and push it out and just keep going and making it better as we go. Because yeah. in the end, people either don't care or just want to see what you're doing. Right. And yeah, you just take have it to in start. You just have to do it as it evolves. It'll get better. But you, you came, you hit the ground running. I think. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You did that. your research and you got your levels and your knobs <laughs> turned and I was impressed. Uh, was the Mike Spakowski one your first episode? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought it, it sounded super pro. Well, thanks. Yeah, it was just, you know, being in being in a bunch of bands growing up, you have... You know uh, how to work the sound? Not really, but I have this like uh, dangerous uh, semi-understanding of how audio works. Yeah, well, it's more than more than I have <laughs> that's for sure the um so tell me about these teachers uh like what was their background and how did they influence you yeah um like were they you know when I think of when you say eastern European I have a certain th- mind image of like Russian illustrators that suffered to understand their art yeah there was a guy from Russia from Moscow um nice and he was a lunatic, but he, he was my favorite. So he was more like core illustration. Mm-hmm. That was his specialty. And uh, he did wild stuff. He was doing like propaganda. These, uh, no, no, you know, not like uh, political stuff, but he was doing these really kind of absurd and grotesque comic books where he was morphing Disney characters in kind of uh, inappropriate ways. He, like he didn't give a fuck. He was... He was a madman, and I was totally gravitated toward that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then there was uh, Chetomir Kostovich. He's uh, <laughs> oh, Chetomir. Chetomir. Um, he was more like conceptually driven. Mm. He wanted you to sketch, sketch, sketch. He didn't care so much about your execution. Yeah, yeah. He didn't yeah. care. You wanted. He did a ton of like um, uh, posters and mm-hmm. just really. Uh, gripping work and he wanted to he pulled that out of you and then maria who's the head of the program she she was typography driven and clean and um so there's these three individuals and there were others as well but those three they just came from different approaches and really like um just pulled a lot out of you and asked a lot of you and gave you a well-rounded idea of what graphic design can be mm-hmm. um, from conception to execution and sure. from fine detail to, you know, wild 
uh, ideas. So yeah, they, uh, they were cool. They were great. I feel like it's, um, a hard thing to grasp, even design, because design is even, I don't know, it's like an amalgamation of everything. Totally. Um, and illustration even, even maybe more so. Mm-hmm. Like you have to know design and typography and balance and color and and um, it's always such a weird thing to me to learn. Yeah, and that's why someone like Chetamir was so great. He wasn't teaching you how to draw or how to do anything except for how to think, basically. Yeah, he was trying to get you like you had to fill your sketchbook with ideas. He didn't give a shit about. He didn't want to see anything until he's seen all of your ideas. That's cool. Um, yeah. So he stressed that. And that's something I do to this day is just sure. grind out. You know, I do a sketch of the same thing 30 times until it's, until it makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the cool thing about that ed- education. And we were learning the technical stuff on the side with, you know, other courses learning the, uh, Adobe software was, that's a nif- another story that was so frustrating for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause I, I had no, um, no experience with it besides one class in high school. That was like something like intro to digital design or something. I, but I just used it as like, I was cutting things out in Photoshop mm-hmm. really haphazardly and like making these silly collages collages yeah. exactly with like terrible typography you know and um but when i got in college and they were like i realized i had to learn this shit it was <laughs> driving me crazy it was you know just a week on the pen tool and <laughs> and again i didn't really get a grasp on any of that shit until after college yeah like just maybe until doing you had it. to have real world application yeah for sure or you know just practicing it all the time that's, you know, it's funny as I'm thinking, you know, again, I'm thinking back to my experience too. And it was, um, that stuff was the stuff I learned first. And I'm pretty sure it's because I had Macintoshes from a young age. Mm-hmm. And so once you kind of get your familiarity down with a couple different applications or programs, then you're able to port that information over to even more complicated programs like Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And so in the beginning, I really learned Photoshop before I learned anything that was to my benefit, but then also to my detriment because I was able to do some pretty realistic stuff. Um, but I had a hard time thinking conceptually and creatively. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, the, my friend who I interviewed Josh Boston, uh, on the third podcast. Yeah. I listened to that one. He's, He's a cool dude. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Very I, funny. I he's actually working him. on being a stand-up comedian. Really? Oh, I could see that. Yeah, he's 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 he's, fun. he's got a good delivery. He does, and um, he was again like maybe more your background of having great concepts, great ideas, a great handle of typography, especially, but he didn't know how to do shit in Photoshop, <laughs> and and not a lot of things in Illustrator. He just yeah. he could like he built a career just by literally utilizing the core aspects of graphic design. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming in and, and like, he was my peer, but my boss in some right. ways too. And I was like, this guy doesn't know how to do anything. What's he getting paid for? 
And but he knew, he knew, uh, right. He knew I had was up. awful design sense and awful aesthetic, but I could make a, I could make you, uh, holding your hand, uh, in a photo and make it look completely photorealistic. Yeah. That's funny. Well, I'm, I'm glad it evened out for you. Well, <laughs> you, honestly, I feel like it's taken me a pretty long time to embrace the creative aspects. And I don't really feel like I've up until like doing the work with snake bite. I don't, I think everything before that isn't really that good of work. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's honestly. how I feel about my stuff. I mean, I'm hard on it as well, but going back to what you say, I went to school with a lot of kids who were more, uh, technologically savvy that could work the, the software. And mm-hmm. I was really impressed by that. Um, but the professors were not, they're like, look, this is cool. You can, right. You can trace the hell out of this image. Like you can, uh, mock up a website. It looks just like another website, but they're like, I don't care. Like, right. where's you, where are you at? You just like copied this shit. You yeah. did it well, but it's not going to get you anywhere. Yes. Well, I would say that it gets you somewhere maybe right out of school. Sure. But then uh, I think you quickly or maybe not so quickly sometimes realize that like, wait, all I do is copy layouts and other styles. And you could definitely probably make a very most designers mediocre do. career out of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, have a great life. But well, it's to be honest, like that kind of mindset is just glorified production art. Yeah, I think. And mm-hmm. for people that don't really understand, production art is basically taking a style or a, uh, um, you know, like a branding map and creating uh, work from that. Like you have these pre, even a lot of junior art directors and art directors do this kind of work to where you're not really coming up with the concept behind a campaign. You're just kind of taking the puzzle pieces and right, placing fleshing them it out and to yeah. where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people spend their entire careers doing that. And that there's no problem with that, but it should be recognized that it is kind of a glorified production art and half graphic design. Right. I mean, the, the computer is a means to, to get your work out there to, yep. to do something, but, um, you know, to, to do something quick, to do something yeah. cool. But if you're not thinking of anything good or cool, then it's not, you're not doing too much. Right. And I think what is more important in the long run is originality. Yeah. And I feel like you've got that in spades. Well, thank you. And I want to know how, um, when did your personal style start to come about? Was it in university working with these guys or was it after? Yeah. Like I said, everything kind of came after college for me. Like I came out of college still pretty lost. Um, and even though I did well, like, you know, towards the top of the class in college, I came out, I, I felt like my portfolio was really shitty. Hmm. Um, and I think it was looking back, like it was not really professional work. Yeah. So I spent, um, a lot of time and I didn't have a job straight out of college. I had an internship when I was in college at a little digital shop, mm-hmm. um, in Springfield called Departica. Shout out to those people. Departica. It's a made up word, but they're still <laughs> around and uh, they're, they're amazing. They just let me come to their office every day after cool. I graduated. And I sort of like, I literally just redid my portfolio. I just made up self authored projects and 
illustrations and I just like would make two or three of them a, a day and re rebuilt my whole portfolio. Were you getting paid? I wasn't getting paid. No. That's interesting. What's your view on uh, paid and unpaid internships? Um, this one, this was my only one it, and it was great. I did it for credit and mm-hmm. this was during college. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my view on it, I, I think you should be paid for sure. Um, I was but just hungry like you, and needed, and I had a buddy who was working there. Yeah, I was having fun. Yeah. It sounded more casual. Maybe it was very casual. And these people are good friends of mine to this day. And, uh, like I said, after I graduated, they had a open desk mm-hmm. and I came into their office every day and they would kick me. They started kicking me freelance work. See, yeah. And, um, occasionally I still do freelance work for them. Yeah. So I was getting paid very little right out of college and working on my stuff on the side just cause I knew I had to like re redo my portfolio cause it was not getting me gigs. Um, and I, I didn't think it was strong enough to show anybody. Sure. So I spent months just, just making stuff up and, um, that's cool. Yeah. Eventually got a, got a gig. Um, started emailing people after, uh, well, this, so this digital agency, they actually, they built me my first website. That was sort oh, of the, sweet. the payment for the, for the internship, which was great. So I was able to share that with art directors. My first gig I got with the Globe and Mail, mm-hmm. which is a Canadian newspaper, yep. like pretty freaking pretty awesome. cool gig. Yeah. Um, did a little piece. Uh, it was very silly looking back at it. It doesn't, you know, exist in my portfolio now, but uh, it was like the first time where I was like, holy shit, this is, I could do editorial stuff and mm-hmm. it's fast. It's like a day, two days. And it's like, whatever, a few hundred bucks or more. I'm like, okay, this, this could be something. And then Globe and Mail ends up hiring me for, I think three or four more jobs in mm-hmm. that year, I think, or year and a half. Um, so yeah, and then I'm starting making postcards, sending them out and, slowly getting these little editorial gigs, but I'm also doing design stuff for Departica, um, on the side, sort of digital things and still barely making any money, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's something and it's, uh, I mean, to get, to go back to the whole internship, I, I do think it's a spectrum because it's, um, I think that whoever is giving you the internship should have some sort of ethical code. Like if they're not paying you, then they shouldn't lump paid work. They, you should be doing no paid work that, yeah. they're, that they're billing. Mm-hmm. And instead it should be kind of focusing on you getting better, kind of giving that person a thermometer to see like, okay, is this someone that we feel like hiring? Let's give them some internal projects or some non-for-profit stuff. Um, and I think that in that respect, an unpaid internship is totally cool. Yeah. When, when it starts to get weird is when like they're expecting you to do shit for their clients yeah. and, and you're like working, you working you hard, which has definitely happened. And, uh, it's like, sure. you're not paying me to do it. And you know, what is keeping me like uh credit? I'm just going to walk out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like in my naive state they could have probably walked all over me but taken advantage they of you. could have they <laughs> could have but they didn't they were great yeah. they were chill it was fun um you know they had me working on just little things on the side it's and, cool you know and they were paying me for little 
little gigs I was doing. I did an illustration for their blog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think technically might be the first time I got paid for an illustration. First client work? Yeah. It was, ever? It was funny. They had a blog and um, the headline was like, this blog is bull hockey. <laughs> so like, maybe you draw like a picture of a bull playing hockey. What and is bull hockey? I, you know, like malarkey, like this blog is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's well, the right way to say it. How long ago was this? <clears throat> um, 2010. Okay. Yeah. Almost 10 years ago. That yeah. sounds like a ad agency, like. And I think, it, yeah, it's definitely tongue in cheek and trying to be cool with that same bullshit. <laughs> right. And I don't know <laughs> if the blog even came to fruition or what, but they were like, maybe, you know, <laughs> draw a bull playing hockey and they're like, you know, no deadline or whatever. Have fun. Take your time. And I just, you know, sketch something up, draw something up real quick. And at that time I was doing like pretty much all hand drawn stuff uh-huh. and then scanning it in and doing minor manipulations, but mainly just adding like inking it, adding color. What is that? Uh, uh, so you would just do a pencil sketch and then, yeah. Ink and, then, it and then, and then probably, yeah, go over with a, a pen tool. I would go, or no, 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 no. I would bring in the actual drawing. So I, yeah, probably draw it in pencil in the sketchbook and then go over it with a little more detail with a pen, mm-hmm. scan it in and then just like darken the lines. Mm. So I wasn't going over it with pen tool in the illustrator In illustrator. No, I was using the actual drawing and then adding some colors behind it. Cool. Essentially. So I, I do, I draw this bull playing hockey very quickly just kind of fucking around scan it in add a couple colors and like i said i had a buddy who was working and i like sent it to him via iMessage or whatever mm-hmm. um just f- f- to see what he thought and I, he sends sends it over to the boss i'm like dude i was just, you know i just was fucking <laughs> around and like don't and then she like perks her head up she's like yo this is great and like gives me 300 bucks oh my god <laughs> like on the spot i'm like wow i just made 300 dollars for 20 minutes of work. <laughs> it was definitely the first time I've gotten paid for a, an illustration. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was pretty wild. Um, I want to see this bull playing hockey. Um, it was, yeah, I did it on a company computer. Uh, I could ask them if they have it. <laughs> I would love to see it as well. I mean, I literally like splashed some colors in it. Like it was all offset. Didn't line up mm-hmm. kind of on purpose. And, um, yeah, they were stoked and cut me a check on the spot. I almost like felt guilty. I was like, I, are you sure? Like I can make something better. But they they liked it. It was a cool glimpse into what illustration could be like. Sure. How you could um, make your money's worth. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to bust like your ass off all day <laughs> and draw these crazy things. Cause there are great illustrators who do who are using a oh, God, brush yeah. and ink and are making these beautiful pieces and they're spending a week on one. But it's like, you can also just throw something together. And if it's cool and striking, you can get paid the same amount. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's where illustration and design, the line kind of gets blurred a little bit and it's, um, you know, it's tricky. It's, I, I think, and maybe I'm thinking too difficulty about it, difficultly about it, but it, it starts to get like, like, where is the line drawn between illustration and design? Mm-hmm. Is there a line? Does it even fucking matter? Probably not. Um, 
I, you know, I think the one thing about your work, and if you're listening to this podcast and you still haven't seen his work, you need to go check it out, um, is that I feel like you know how to draw better than what your, what your work technically looks like. But it doesn't matter because your work is creating this vibe that is more communicative uh, and representative of the content that you're illustrating for. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it's almost, um, it's definitely deceptively simple. And I think it looks simpler than people actually recognize. And the thing that I, you know, the thing that I immediately recognized was like, I feel like some sort of emotional content to this, uh, whether it's like the headless football players, it instantly, just the color palette Mm -hmm. and the repetition reminds me of some old wallpaper or something. um, I would, yeah, I would love to put that in some kid's room or a nursery, (laughs) you know, I, that's, yeah, um, I want, I'm just curious how you evolved that aesthetic, um, and how it came about and how you're like, Hey, I can do things that look like they were drawn by a younger person, (laughs) but are still awesome and, and, and well done. Yeah. Um, I think it all sort of started in me recognizing that I wasn't going to be able to fake it yeah. like like I said I wasn't good at drawing and I, I think I really was into these more detailed illustrations mm-hmm. and this kind of wacky graffiti style and I yeah. wanted to do this really detailed heavy-handed work and it, and I tried that for a long time it, just like grinding away drawing all these details scanning it in putting in hours of work on mm-hmm. and it just ended up looking really photoshoppy and clunky and I eventually realized that I wasn't good at that and that wasn't going to cut it and I just started stripping everything away and trying to communicate the same exact illustration essentially or the same image in the least amount of shapes That's cool. and still have it makes sense. And I noticed that it was way more powerful, like way more striking images. They were, they just meant more to me instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice other people kind of identifying with that as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Totally. Um, because it's like the closer you would try to get to reality, it wouldn't necessarily emotionally hit someone. And then when you start stripping it down and getting into the minimal aspects of it, it's like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to be damn good to uh, to draw from real life and make someone care about it, I think. Yeah. You know? And I was never going to be that good. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, just me sort of figuring out how I could make art that was true to myself, that I was comfortable with, that was also going to feel... Uh, I hate to say commercial in a way, but you know, sellable. Like, yeah. Um, man, you know, there's tons of illustrators doing it and there were then that, that could simplify things and, um, you know, make this very impactful art out of almost nothing. And I started gravitating towards that more and yeah, just refined my, my execution and my, um, my style 
that way, you know, just started moving into a more simplified form. Um, what were some of your other influences aside from graffiti as you started to get older? Was there any kind of, um, music or other work that you were seeing that, that played into it? Because I feel like your work is so indicative of you as a person, like it represents your personality. And when you start to get to know you and you look at your work, it makes a lot of sense. Oh, thanks. Um, um, and, and so I just want to, you know, what were some of the things, maybe not even in the realms of illustration that like played to your sensibilities? Um, you know, skateboard graphics have always yeah, totally. attracted me. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since I was a kid and it was funny, I think my first like <clears throat> real complete board, you remember blind, mm-hmm. um, they had this board where they've got this guy is very, very like street art style and he's like making a B with his hand. And then the rest of the word is the rest of the word blind is spelled out in graffiti letters. And, uh, I was just like, that was my shit mm-hmm. at 12 or 13 years old, you know? <laughs> But there were all these other board companies and styles um, that I think introduced me to a, just a ton of different. Same here. Work, I didn't you know? even skate. Yeah. No, it was amazing. <laughs> Those old CCS catalogs, which is yeah. pages of boards and Burn all house. the artwork was so sweet. And it, it was, yeah, ev- it just ran the whole gamut. Detailed stuff, like punk rock stuff, uh, hip hop stuff. And then there were things that were like really minimalistic and, um, well done and kind of graphic design driven. I was hugely influenced by that and, mm-hmm. you know, still am. Um, but yeah, as a kid, it was like Ren and Stimpy, mm-hmm. Beavis and Butthead, mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, this like weird, and it wasn't just the, uh, the aesthetic and the artwork. It was like the, the, the atmosphere the that was there. Yeah. The content yeah. was just weird and it just spoke really like, was up my alley. I loved that. Um, and I, I still feel that way. Like I want to be, I am quirky and I want my art to feel a little off and funny. And, um, I don't know. Hopefully it translates that way a little bit. Were you folks artists at all or like, um, not really. My mom is an artistic woman for sure. And she grew up taking art classes in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now she's very craft driven. She's got a different craft every month yeah. and she gets into it. She gets really good at it. Um, my dad, not so much, although his side of the family does have some creative people, not professional artists, but I've seen some work that they've done in their younger years. And yeah, yeah, there's some talent there. How have they like responded to your career as it has started to evolve into, uh, as, as it started to evolve into a more serious thing? Um, yeah, my parents. Yeah. Yeah. They're stoked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they've always been so supportive. That's cool. Yeah. Super supportive. And I think they noticed early on that I had this curiosity and, um, creativity. And like I said, I was always drawing and they, they sort of facilitated that and they were into that. They liked seeing my drawings and they would hang them up at their, Mm -hmm. my dad would hang up my dinosaur drawings in his office and (laughs) stuff. They were, they were great. And now, yeah, they're, they're into it. They didn't quite know what it was. I think when I, when I first started off, yeah, when I graduated, even they were like me, if they knew what graphic design or illustration was, they would have told me about it a long time ago. I would have 
right. had a leg up. So they, and I'm trying to explain it to them. They're like, yeah, I, okay. You know, logos and shit. Right. Right. So they didn't get it. I didn't think until, um, you know, I started having illustrations on the cover of newspapers and magazines. They're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I get, I get that. Um, yeah, now they're, yeah, they're proud and always eager to see what I'm working on and they, they get it now. It's cool. Well, and I think also, uh, you know, like everything else, the internet has made people a little more savvy with this kind of stuff as well. And so like, yeah, my parents aren't good at the internet. No, mine neither. Yeah. But they at least know that like, you know, you're, for example, you're working with brands and that it may only be on, uh internet article or social media account. Yeah. But they're like, Oh yeah, I get it now. Yeah. They check up on Instagram here and there. Oh, I didn't know you did that. (laughs) That's cool. So did you, did you start working after Departica? No, you know, I was still like struggling getting some freelance work. Mm -hmm. Very little though to sustain any sort of life outside of the, you know, whatever $350 rent I was paying in Springfield or however much it was. Um, but so I was looking, I, I moved back to St. Louis a couple of years after I graduated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was kind of on the prowl looking for jobs. I went to moose trying to get a job. I thought I wanted to do the, to do the ad agency yeah. route. <clears throat> um, so, uh, yeah, looking around, no one, no one hired me. Uh, <laughs> thankfully now looking back, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm glad, you Same know, here. cause it forced me to really put myself out there and, um, start getting gigs on my own, which eventually started to happen. You know, I built a little business essentially was, is what it was just sending out postcards, bugging the shit out of people, art directors, you know, emails every couple months postcards on there hey remember me we worked together once uh i got some new work (laughs) eventually that stuff pays off if you you know keep up with it and your work's good there's a there's an art to not being annoying too when you oh definitely and And just i i I feel like i i towed that line well enough (laughs) or it wasn't too annoying but you also you know you have to get in front of their face somehow definitely and um it's, uh, it, you know, I'm trying to even think back to before I was on the receiving end of emails mm-hmm. to where it's like, you're just so hungry and you're like, please, I just want to make art for a living. Totally. And, you know, anything you give me, I don't care. Just, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then when you finally do get somebody reach back to you and you're just like, yes, I'm getting fucking paid just yeah. sit in a cool office and work on a Mac and draw or do graphic design all day. <laughs> it's yeah, a very it's rewarding fun. feeling for it sure. Is. Yeah. Uh, so did you move? You ended up moving? Because yeah, I moved. You to couldn't s- get a job here? Uh, no. So I came here for a couple of years, um, just freelancing. Mm-hmm. I met a little agency here in town who knew Departica, the kind of word of mouth friend who's like oh they're called Mio they're still around they're still mm-hmm. really good friends of mine they started kicking me a ton of work on you know was wasn't super uh glamorous or anything but I was actually doing pretty long-term like contract work for them in in their office I, I think it was one summer or 
several months where I was coming in basically like a regular job. So it, it was, that was good money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was dating a girl and living with this girl at the time and she got a job in Denver mm. and basically we, we split like out of nowhere, like had to be there in a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Oh, and that was like split um, together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We split town. That, split and that together. was like right around the time I met you and Mikey Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Corey that makes sense. and I was meeting, you know, these cool St. Louis people and starting to get a little traction here. Um, just hanging out with you guys. This is when like Higgs with legs was going on mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, uh, and then I just left and, uh, tried to, you know, basically I had to start over in Denver, but it was kind of the same story. I was still doing my freelance thing and then met agency in Denver who I became really good friends with, who I'm still friends with. That's kind of a common theme throughout mm-hmm. the, you know, you meet these people and these are small shops, you form a good relationship with them and, um, uh, they come, you know, they come back to you. It's not, it might not be consistent or all the time, but they, they'll keep you on, uh, in the Rolodex for sure. So anyway, I did that in well, I mean, Denver. I, I think, I don't think that that's something to, uh, just gloss over because I feel like a lot of, especially nowadays, uh, a, a lot of younger creatives just like want to completely let the work speak for themselves. And it's like the, the, the main, you want to work with people that you want to hang out with and that you want to be with every single day because you're at work for the majority of your waking hours. You don't want to work with people that you can't talk to or bullshit with or, you know, worry about if they'll get it. And so to a certain extent, it's like that speaks to people with decent personalities or better personalities getting hired over people that have stronger work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's an, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I feel about how I feel about everything, like great artists or, you know, I don't really give a shit unless you're like a nice person. Right, right, right. But yeah, no, there's, there's definitely something to be said about just being a good guy. Yeah. I also pride myself on being super punctual and Mm -hmm. like I get shit done and, uh, I am, you know, they can count on me. So yeah, these relationships I've had for years, I think, uh, it's just professionalism. It's professionalism for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like while your work may represent more fun things or more, uh, you know, culture of like slackerdom. That doesn't mean that like that doesn't represent who you are necessarily right. in the professional sense. No, yeah, I try to stay as professional as possible. Otherwise, I you know I you know I'm trying to keep my head afloat. Yeah, in the first place, right? Like I with my work, and so I I definitely have to stay on top of the professional aspect. Yeah, I think that that's something that sometimes maybe gets lost in translation when, um, you know, when people are really good at what they do and excel at whatever it may be, whether it's music or illustration or artwork or yada, 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 there's still like a pretty strong work ethic that is needed in order to maintain that kind of, um, that kind of ability. And I think that people like to think that like, um, I don't know, I'm 
just pulling the name out of the air, like Mac DeMarco or someone. Mm-hmm. Like he just is chilling because he's got a cool voice and he's laid back and blah, blah, blah. And he's singing easygoing songs or yeah. uh, Jeff McFetridge um, is somebody that pops to my mind too because he was doing really him. fun stuff um, and it felt relaxed. Yeah. You know, and and there's a there's a separation between making a body of work that has a certain vibe to it and then also how you're actually executing that. And it's like you can't be a laid back dude drawing Sasquatches and get hired by Pepsi at the same time. Like you have to be really good. Spike Jones, he would maybe be like the best example of that. Like he seems like the most fun dude to hang out with. Right. His work is groundbreaking, but there's like an effortlessness effortlessness to it as yeah. well. And uh, you know, if you're a creative, you know that that comes from just like doing this shit inside out, in, inside out every single day. For sure. Yeah, yeah, that I think that effortlessness comes from practice and yeah. comes from a lot of effort <laughs> yeah totally which you is uh, it's, it's a lot it's paradox. hard work to make it look like you're not working <laughs> right. that hard i think is yeah what we're getting at well right and some of your work too it like incorporates things or tools or visual aspects that i don't that i would be like if i tried to do something with that i wouldn't make it look cool like a for example like um an embellished beveled stroke you know, like a stroke that has like a highlight and a shadow to it. Oh, right, right. And I, like, I can't even remember what, it, maybe some work that you recently did for Riverfront Times. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, if I tried to do something, it would just look bad. But you're taking stuff that looks bad historically and you're making it cool again. Well, thanks. Yeah, and that's just uh, comes from experimenting, you know, that, that Riverfront Times cover you're talking about was kind of a, a battle, really. Um and in a lot of those battles where you spend so much of your time just sort of trying to get it right and trying to get it right, it takes this kind of breaking point where you've, you leave all that behind and try something new and something kind of clicked with that. I was like, okay, there's this juxtaposition between this flatness and then this uh, exaggerated sort of like overly photoshops kind of look that is working. And it was totally experimental mm-hmm. um, and I ended up using in that sort of thing again, or maybe I had done it before and I was like, Oh, this could work here. But yeah, I, it's, I'm still definitely experimenting all the time. Cause, um, you know, those, you see something maybe that you didn't anticipate just fucking around with the tool. And then it's like, Oh, I could apply that potentially somehow. Sure. To yeah. Future work. Right. A Photoshop brush that might be totally cheesy and awful. But if you work it kind of the right way, it's like, oh shit, that that's cool. Could that you, works. You think you could ever use um, uh, Comic Sans <laughs> or Papyrus? <laughs> oh man, Comic Sans, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think Papyrus so too. probably not. Papyrus, Papyrus got you know. I don't know what you can do with Papyrus. You can make the movie the most selling, best selling movies of all time. That's true. Masthead. That's what, that's <laughs> insane. It is. Um, yeah, I mean, I try to draw my own type mainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love typography, and I really admire people who work with 
typefaces. I feel like I, I'm not great at it. I, I can be. It's just sort of a not my forte necessarily. It's a little foreign. I enjoy tapping into it when I have to, but a lot of times for, um, you know, posters or illustration work that includes verbiage, mm-hmm. I often, I usually opt for a hand-drawn type typography just because I feel like it complements the illustration. Totally. Yeah. Um, but fonts are cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always amazed by, uh, typographers like legitimate typographers that create new alphabets, tweak out letter forms. It's crazy. It's insane, man. And like, I've had the pleasure of working with some very talented ones. Really? And, um, there was one project that we worked on where we created a new Futura, just basically a, a Futura that would suit our needs for a masthead project. Wow. And man, it sounds so simple, but it honestly dictated the voice of that brand better than almost anything else we could have done. And it's very expensive. You know, if you're really good and you're hiring like the top of the top, <laughs> that's not, it's not cheap stuff. Yeah. And to me, it's just like, it feels so ambivalent. Like, okay, like, all right, so my, I don't know why this uh, curve on the S should look like this, but, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some reason to it. And it does. It comes down to balance and experience and aesthetics and just, you know, knowing certain things, but also, like, throwing that convention to the wind. There's yeah. some of the most crazy people, like Eric Gill... Uh, yeah. who created Gil Sands sure. and a bunch of other typefaces. I think he, I mean, he was a crazy motherfucker. I think he had like a romantic relationship with his dog Oh wow! or something. <laughs> you know, so it's definitely also an art form while also being a commercial art form as well. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I feel like I could make an alphabet that would be totally silly and hand-drawn and haphazard. And But the real good ones, like I cannot imagine. Like, I think... For maybe a lot of people, that seems simple. It's like, oh, you draw, you make the letters, and they create like but one then or you two have alphabets to, a year. Yeah, but well, then you have to type them out, and it has to look good. You have to make words look good, and it and has the each letter has to relate to the next in every combination, and then I love all the glyphs. Yeah, well, and typefaces. That's my favorite thing to look at. It's so interesting too because it's. Um, Sorry, I'm I'm looking up. I, I rarely ever do this, but I really want to know about Eric Gill's relationship with his dog. Well, we all do. <laughs> uh, yes, his personal diaries reveal that his religious beliefs did not limit his sexual activity, which included several extramarital affairs, incest with his two eldest teenage daughters. I didn't know that. Mm incestuous relationships with his sisters and sexual acts on his dog. Wow. Should I feel differently about using Gil Sands? <laughs> it's a cool, I didn't know about the cool incest full, full disclosure. See, that's but, and th- this is interesting because that's another thing. It's like, it, not a great guy, fucking awful guy. apparently. <laughs> and can you still celebrate? I mean, well, I, yeah. you wouldn't hire him now. Is he alive? No, no. Sure. So, but it's like, uh, yeah, do you continue to use his work? Yeah. He was born in the eighties, the 1880s. Okay. <laughs> Died in 1940. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I that's a whole, well, that's the thing. So if I knew him podcast. then, if I knew him then and knew what he was up to, I would not be using Gil Sands on my uh, newsletter that's going well, on to my village. I, you know, I wouldn't. I, and for some reason, I guess now it's a little different that I guess time has passed and he's dead because I will probably use Gil Sands. Maybe I shouldn't. Tomorrow. <laughs> it's uh, it's a funny type. I love the Ultra Bolt. Like, yeah. That's my thing with with fonts when I use them. I like the extremes. I do too. You know, I want to see like what the ultra, ultra, uh, extended, super bold, blacked super bold. out or yeah. the, or the thin, so thin that you can, you're like, oh, is it even there? Totally. Yeah. I want to <laughs> see what the exclamation point looks like and what the numerals are like. And so if anyone listening to this doesn't even understand the art of typography, basically look at your fucking keyboard and look at every single character there and realize that those are all hand drawn. And someone, anytime they want to make a new font, has to literally take every single character that's on your keyboard and draw it by hand into a new typeface that has its own aesthetic and attitude and voice to it. You know, it's a completely misunderstood... Outside of design, it's a completely misunderstood uh, skill set. Yeah, an art form. It truly is an art form. Um, I did just read a wonderful passage from Bruce Mao, um, and he has this book called Lifestyles, and he talks about typography as almost like this black art because it's something that's... Who is he? Bruce Mao is this uh, designer made famous by doing a lot of design work for like Rem Coolhouse, who's a famous architect. Okay. Uh, They did this book called... Um, small, medium, large, extra large, XXL. And so if you saw the cover, you'd be like, oh, I know that book. Mm -hmm. Because it was probably in every graphic designer office that you ever visited. Yeah. He did a lot of foundational design work in the 90s and early 2000s for book design. And he was also a very theoretical designer. So he wrote a lot about how he thought the internet was changing things or how typography is a hidden black art. He was saying that kind of in jest, Mm -hmm. but that it's something that is invisible to people on a daily basis. Totally. Yet it still dictates so much. I have to show it to you because it's really, it takes something as invisible as typography and makes you realize that there's a magic to it that most people don't ever see. Yeah. Well, that's why I love comic sans. I feel like that's like the layman's uh, yeah. introduction to typography. Everyone knows Comic Sans yes. sucks. Yeah. Even though it's uh, maybe not that particularly hard to read if you've got a note plastered up in the office on the bathroom. says Sure. But everyone formed, knows they hate it. It served a purpose, though, too. And the funny thing is, is they hate it out of the context of comic books. Like right. When you see Comic Sans in a comic book, it's invisible. Sure. You know, nobody hates it then. Yeah. They hate it when they're trying to do a healthcare uh, advertisement. Yeah. Or something. I can't read this. Like, why are you using Comic Sans? I don't want to see the word cancer written in Comic <laughs> Sans. <laughs> um, but nowadays, I feel like all, I don't know, even more so that all the rules have been thrown out. And if it rock, yeah. if you can rock it, mm-hmm. if you can rock, 
Comic Sans mm-hmm. with a word like cancer, with yeah. whatever type of vibe that you're trying to communicate. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Like there's a lot of design and illustration that feels fundamental in nature. Um, a lot of like hip streetwear artists, uh, I think like Virgil Abloh and what he's done with Off-White. Um, I'm not very familiar. You know it. He's I'm the, not hip. He's the guy that puts everything in quote marks. Okay. And he did the, uh, you know, like the off-white Nikes. Okay. And it says shoes on the side and shoelace. Okay, right. Um, <laughs> and like a lot of um, people using like just a generic RGB spectrum with some type and some lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I, when I say a fundamental like return, it's like stuff that was popular when computers started to become uh, more integral to design and illustration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. you had all those silly yeah. pieces of clip art and uh, clip art or registration marks. Yeah. And like people are flipping that on its head and utilizing those as a design for sure. And I, I feel like you've done a little bit of that as well. Um, yeah. Like even with making an illustration offset, you know, from the colors that are supposed to be represented in a CMYK print process, mm-hmm. like shifting the blue, the cyan, or shifting the yellow right. to where it doesn't... Yeah, I spent a long time doing that. I, yeah. I was always obsessed with um, printmaking. Mm. And uh, yeah, I spent, a, you know, probably too long trying to sort of fake that and never doing a great job of it. But I, yeah, I love the sort of the intentional incon- mistakes. Yeah. 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 The inconsistencies that come with the printing process and you, you really can't, I really can't replicate it. A lot of people can, you see some yes, illustrators. You I think your work is like the best reference of that kind of you stuff, think? especially with textures too. textures. Um, like, um, anytime I see like a well executed texture, I'm just like, Oh God. Yeah, oh man, I love me some textures. <laughs> so pairing that with the what we call the intentional inconsistencies mm-hmm. really gives design work today like a soul to it. I think more so than ever. I feel like Dan um, Dan Casaro from Young Jerks has always been really good with that kind of stuff. Again, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you know, familiar. you totally know his work. We need a screen up so we can. Oh, I'll pull it up right now. No, you don't. You don't <laughs> have to. Um, but you know, yeah, no, I, that's just yeah, a way of contemporary artists reaching back to these processes that are no longer as popular. Right, like, like everyone wants to do it. So he did yeah, totally. Deus ex machina, the motorcycle brand. I mean, his work's been ripped off very frequently. I feel. Like he was kind of one of the newer uh, guard that brought back handwritten type and yeah. things of that nature. It's beautiful, and yet you see this on every single. Yeah, now it's uh, now it's everywhere. Yeah, and it's it's still beautiful if you can do it well. You, you know, we're talking these lockups with this nice typography and mm-hmm. these textures, and it this it just feels really good, and it feels printed, and there's a fun illustration that. Yeah, I love that shit, but everybody is doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think... And I'm not mad at it, because if they do it well, I'm like, that's cool. Well, and that is... Sometimes I want to do it. Yeah, I mean, I want to 
do it all the time. I, I try have. not to because I don't <laughs> think it wouldn't help me out at all. You know, you could hire someone else to do that. No, because it wouldn't be representative of who you are and, and what you're trying to do. Right. And I think it... I got to stay my course. That's... Man, trends and styles are always a pitfall for any designer and really realistically any creative. For Anybody sure. Anybody doing anything that they're creating. Yeah, yeah. You hear something and you're like, man, I want to make that sound exactly like... Mm-hmm the Migos or mm-hmm. <laughs> I see that, that logo and I want to replicate that. Yeah. And you can, and you could get some work and you can, but you're going to have to change it up. Right. When it's, when it's time to change. Talk to me about then like someone who does have a definitive personal style. And like if Tyler Gross's style becomes like the go-to, then what do you what do you do next? Do you feel like you have to then do something completely different? Oh, um, I mean, your body of work nowadays is pretty extensive. I, I checked out your website before you came over, and I was like, "Wow, you've done quite a bit of work now, and you have a, a nice visual library." Yeah, well, thanks. Um, I would love for my well, I don't know. I guess it'll as long as I'm getting more right. work. I yeah, that'd be great if my style became trendy. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, if you do look at my website, I think you can see phases and there, there things change. And I'm trying, I never try to like, for a long time I did sort of stick within this, um, process, Mm -hmm. which became so fucking terrible and boring. And, uh, I try not to do that at all, at all anymore. Like it's uh, okay. If I want to add a little texture on this one or in this illustration is completely flat mm-hmm. and, um, maybe there are overlapping colors on this one and this one, everything lines up. I don't try. I, I try to not stay so strict, like fall into a rhythm or fall into a, um, comfort zone. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I want, and like I said, for a long time I did do that, and it it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not helping you. Yeah. So I think. But there's a balance though too, because you're, you become known for a certain style of work. mm -hmm. So people want to see that replicated. Yeah, but I think, uh, and I do realize a lot of my stuff that I make these days looks pretty recognizable, but I also don't feel like they're all the same process. Like I, I still, there's differences for me. It's, um, you know, I, each one's a little different and the next one will hopefully be a little different or if it's, if I'm feeling it and it's working, I'll stick with it. But I never want to feel like, oh, I have to, like, this is this plan. This is step one, two, three, four. And this is what it's going to look like at the end. I like to throw a wrench in and just try something weird. So I don't know. And hopefully I can do that and still have a recognizable body of work. Yeah. Um, did, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's just basically taking your personal style, staying true to it and then also evolving it. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, because I think maybe style aside, there's a, you know, your content, you know? Yeah, true. Which says a lot. For sure. Oh, that, that's something 
that looks like he did it or that looks like she did it. And I feel like I try to come from the same place mm-hmm. when I'm making stuff, especially personal work um, that I hope is kind of recognizable. Like sure. it's, it's, I don't know how to, to describe it. Maybe I won't. You've kind of touched on it. But, uh, <laughs> Have you seen this trend going around of people posting like the four different styles within their work? No. I think, I don't know if it's just on Twitter or whatever. Oh, okay. I saw uh, Noah McMillan, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, yeah, great illustrator. Fantastic illustrator. Um, and he's like, you know, he said he doesn't have a personal style, which I don't necessarily agree with. But he's like, uh, he posted four different images of things that represent the four different styles that he thinks he has. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, like maybe I don't know I I think it's hard to talk about but maybe personal style is something that's maybe invisible to the person that's yeah I would say it's definitely more than just um, a process or an execution sure because I can see I see Noah's stuff I think he's doing a lot of different stuff oh totally yeah um that maybe stylistically like in in its definition is Mm -hmm. different but I can always tell like, Oh yeah, Noah did that. Yeah. Um, even though they're executed, maybe completely different. He might have an ink drawing in his sketchbook and then this really way more finely tuned full illustration mm-hmm. that I would say, obviously different executions, different styles, but you, you, they both come from him and it's pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the mark of, um, an artist that's comfortable with what they're doing. Like, you know, again, I don't know why I keep going back to music, but you take someone like David Bowie, Madonna, Prince, they can put on different outfits and have a different hairstyle, but it's still them underneath it. And that's the, uh, that's the bond that unites all the work together. Yeah. I, yeah, it probably, probably comes from, um, a lifetime of influence. Yeah, influence yeah, and, and uh, experimenting with your craft and developing your craft. So you know, they all did stuff forever. Oh yeah, I worked on it over decades. And and when they when you listen to them talk about it, especially Bowie, because I feel like Prince never really gave a whole lot of interviews. I don't feel like Madonna's really talked about that kind of stuff either. Uh, but Bowie has some really good clips of him kind of talking about refining his process and his look and his approach to each new um, style of music that he was going into. Hmm. Um, So you briefly, you went back to, or you were in Colorado Mm -hmm. and then were you working out there? Yeah, just freelancing. Uh Although I actually, I I picked up a part-time job at Trader Joe's Shout out Trader Jose. Trader Joe's, man. They, uh, <laughs> uh, just because of the kind of um, rent shock, it was yeah, like did twice. You get any chalkboards? No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I thought I, I almost got into that though, you know, because each store has an artist or two. Yeah. I don't know if you know much about Trader Joe's, but they have a full, fully. They have their own artist in each store. Yeah. What? Who has worked their way up to this artist position. So they also will do like floor stuff or cashier stuff, maybe I guess, but, um, so all the chalkboards are different. 
Yeah, they have someone in-house who has a little office in the back or shares an office with someone else, and they make all those in-house. And they conceptualize them. Like, they do some wacky shit. That's interesting. Yeah, this uh, good friend of mine, or this friend who I met working at this Trader Joe's, we started at the same time. She became sort of like an artist in residency there. I I don't know if she's still doing it or not, but she was like conceptualizing these big end cap boards <laughs> um, of like whatever she wanted. And like the, I almost called him the art director, but the, the manager of the store would sign off on it. I remember one big sign she had on it in cap. It was when spring was coming. It was, you know, that Bruce Springsteen cover spring. with the, with the ball cap in his jeans. In back pocket. Yeah. yeah. Well, she had like a, uh, she, she painted that and had like a spray bottle, cleaning bottle hanging out of the pocket instead. And it said like, <laughs> you know, Bruce spring cleaning. Uh, and there's like, shit. yeah, fuck do it. And that's so funny, man. It's kind of rad. Like you can make a career as an artist at a Trader Joe's. I thought about it for one second. I, I didn't pursue it. Do they get paid more? I would imagine. Okay. But it's interesting. You know, all the signs. It's brilliant and kind of ruthless too. I mean, it makes sense with their aesthetic and what they're trying to do. Um, and not have like pop-up displays of, you know, whatever Trader Joe cookies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all the typography though is based on an alphabet that is for all their packaging. No, no, no. For the signs. Oh, really? Because all the signs in a Trader Joe's are hand-drawn. Yeah, that, that, uh... It's a total graffiti alphabet. Oh, okay. So if you want to become an artist at a Trader Joe's... I worked there for like less than a year. I, I'm not like the authority on Trader Joe's by any means. But I was kind of interested. I was like, oh, yeah, let me see. So the first thing they do is give you this packet mm-hmm. that has the alphabet and a bunch of lines like you're learning cursive, you know, and you just draw the letters over and over. No way. And that's the first step. And then once you get these letters, which the next time you go to a Trader Joe's, take a look at the signs for the products. Uh, you know, I'm talking about the the price. Yeah. The pricing. They're all this graffiti oh, hand yes. style. Yeah. That So that's sort of the, the um, theme that all the artists that's have in common from store to store. But there is a unique artist or two or maybe more at each store. That's one of the more interesting factoids, I think, has ever been told on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. You want to know some more the dark arts behind the Trader Joe's brand package. Yeah. <laughs> for their price tags. I could tell you some more stuff. Tell me some, tell me some more crazy shit at Trader Joe's. <laughs> no, I couldn't really, I was working like two days a week uh-huh. cause I wasn't trying to, I was freelancing at this point. I'm like kind of establishing my style myself. I'm doing okay. But it's like, well, this rent's like a lot out. So, but I'm working at the store like twice a week. And so I don't know how to do shit when I come in, you know, everyone else is like, they're getting big truck. I don't know if you've ever worked at a grocery store or Uh -uh. understand how it works. They get truckloads of product every day, you know, huge pallets of food. And I I never learned how to work that work. So if I was like in the back, you know, these dudes are like working the forklift. Uh And like, I just had to stay out of the way essentially (laughs) because... I felt worthless there. <laughs> I was good at customer service. Um, and the checkout. But at the same time, I was miserable. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. But like, And the checkout, I feel like the checkout people are like happy, but also 
board. You have or- to make a connection with each person that comes through the Trader <laughs> Joe. Like, how are you doing? How's your day? Like, they always are so personable. They are. Well, I will <laughs> say one more thing about Trader Joe's. Then we, <laughs> no, this is a great take. We can move on. No, but uh, they do. They do a cool <laughs> job of hiring people who have like their own shit going on. So I think if you were to get into a conversation with an employee at Trader Joe's, they'd probably have a lot to talk about because they're they're not like career grocery people. Yeah. These are people who are, you know, a lot of them are creatives and, um, you know, have interesting stuff going on the side. And that's the type of people that Trader Joe's likes to hire. Interesting. That's Uh, all. (laughs) I'm not going to say the word Trader Joe's. (laughs) Trade Joe, shout out. Uh, if you want to yeah. do some more advertising on the anti-podcast, just hit me up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you only stayed at Trader Joe's for a year and then you ended up moving on? Yeah. Yeah. Left Trader Joe's and Denver moved to uh, San Diego. Yeah. Briefly. I was actually going to move to Portland, Oregon. What was... That was my plan. What was San Diego? Or, I have a couple of relatives there. Oh, okay. I have a really uh, quirky aunt, <laughs> Aunt Wheezy. In San Diego? In San Diego. <laughs> yeah, and I was talking to her, and she was like, yo, if you want to uh, We come. still with the girl? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, we split up. That predicated the move. Right. I ended up staying in Denver for almost a year after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up living with a really good friend, um, and we had a pretty good time what's uh tell me about denver how's uh i mean i've been to denver a handful of times Mm -hmm. um what was the vibe like there it's cool i don't want to go on record talking shit about anything (laughs) (laughs) you you could talk shit about a city (laughs) um it's a beautiful city it's fun it's uh i mean there's you know i'm like walking dogs around the neighborhood and you turn a corner and you see a mountain range that was yes pretty one of a kind and but then and you turn awesome another corner and you see somebody like taking a shit into a dumpster yeah no that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't bother me i thought it was kind of um it was way too many like young white professionals oh interesting way too it was too much of a transplant city mm-hmm. um that's a lot of Colorado though. Like, um, it's a lot of, I mean, that's how Portland is now. I mean, like oh, I feel completely. like Portland was like that, you know, 15 LA. years ago. Totally. But it, I don't know. Denver lacked a little like personality to me. Yeah. Cause like, I was trying to go find some hole in the wall type bars, which you can find, which I did find and have sure, fun, but sure. it's like a lot of like, what's the trendy, lo- uh, too expensive, Sure. Happy hours and everyone in there looked the same and it was boring as fuck. What's the long ass street? Is it Colfax? Yeah. Okay. Colfax keeps it real. Yeah. So I got sure. a, I've got a, a, a friend of mine that lives off Colfax, mm-hmm. maybe kind of close to voodoo donuts. Yeah. Which, and then there's like some serious dive bars. Yeah, there are up and down Colfax. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I stayed with him and he lived on a street to where like the neighbors and still currently, uh, I just talked to him today, shout out to Rob Timko, but like the neighbors are constantly 
doing some crazy shit. Yeah. Well, so that's where I should have lived. Yeah. You should probably <laughs> lived off Colfax. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I was there for like under, a little under two years, so I, okay. I don't have a great, um, you know, opinion on it. Only what I experienced. And a lot of it was sort of, yeah, this kind of was weed legal when you were there. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was partaking a little bit, but <laughs> not, not much. I had, I don't smoke much oh, or I, right. I haven't really in my adult life. That was like really high school. Yeah. A little bit, but, um, I mean, this, this is a, you can, this is authentic podcast. You can say whatever you want. I'm hear. not lying about my <laughs> marijuana use. I, uh, <laughs> I smoked a ton in high school. I actually started smoking weed too early, probably. Uh, uh-huh. Like 13, 12. Yeah. Um, or at least tried it and then got more into it. And was uh, that because you're hanging out with your sister's friends? It, exactly. Bing. That's, called, <laughs> that's what you call returning to an earlier point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And got way into it all throughout high school and the better, like the, the beginning of college. And then once I like, yeah, sort of after that first year, I was like, all right, dude, I got to figure some shit out. Was it like making you unmotivated? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Just like content and complacent. Yeah, definitely. Sure. And lame (laughs) mainly, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like I, not that I think smoking is lame because I can still uh, enjoy it sometimes. Sure. Some people, I just like, I would smoke and stay on the couch and not socialize. I just wasn't meeting people. I wasn't being social. Yeah. I've only been smoking for five or six years and I really am happy about that, honestly, because, uh, I feel like, you know, aside from the scientific stuff of your brain still forming until you're 25, Mm -hmm. I just felt like I don't rub it in. I, I felt like I had a greater handle on how to use it and right. and, and how to not abuse it. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a 100% completely positive thing. Do you for ever me. get like paranoid or never, never have? No, honestly, yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, that there's only one or two times where I've been unhappy that I smoked weed Mm-hmm. And one was um, in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And it was the middle of the day. I was on a great trip with a bunch of cool people, a bunch of photographers. And I had smoked. And it was kind of a lingering high. And we were all in this beautiful dock in the middle of the ocean in this mangrove island called Gilligan's Island. Not okay. Gilligan's, but Gilligan's. <laughs> like, you have to take a fucking boat out from the from the from the bigger island, Puerto Rico, to get out to this mangrove island in the middle of the ocean. It's it's a very surreal place. Cool. Um, and you're like... And so you're there and, and this like... This will be great. Yeah, no, we're just smoking, having a great time. And then we get to Puerto the... Puerto Rican weed? Yes, it was. That's a funny story. Okay. But yeah, it was Puerto Rican weed. And it worked. And uh, we were standing on the dock to get the ferry back to the mainland. And... It was so gorgeous and so beautiful and so captivating that I was unhappy that I was high because I just wanted to be sober taking mm. it all in instead of altered. 
But you sounds like you appreciated it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I was definitely not paranoid or anything. I was just yeah. like, I just want to be taking in this most gorgeous, one of the most gorgeous sunsets I've ever seen, completely unaltered. Well, I'm sure it was great, though. It was great, <laughs> but I was just irritated because I was hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm like, that's okay. Where's the ferry? You know, this is taking forever. I wasn't thinking about like just the perfect majesty in front of me. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? So you were distracted a little bit. It sounds like you were a little paranoid. Yeah. I mean, as paranoid as I could get. (laughs) If you're worried about where the ferry was, I would call that minor paranoia. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That makes sense. Um, Aside from that, though, I have never experienced any sort of paranoia. Yeah, I don't. I have from smoking uh not like intense like, like i'll get clinical up. paranoia just sort of a, a uncomfortable feeling yeah which I, started happening more happening more and more so i just so stopped, stopped pretty much stopped doing it like socially so sometimes i can get away with it if uh if it i mean you wouldn't it's feeling right you weren't like a chronic user every day or oh yeah oh shit okay well, you just said you just stopped doing it socially. Um, like after my first year of college or so. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So like high school and a little bit sense. into college was heavy, a heavy fog. usage. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Which is a little regrettable, but. Well, um, I mean, you live and learn. Sure. Um, so yeah, every once in a while. Cool. It can be fun. So you moved to San Diego. Yeah, because you had uh, family there. I had was, some family there, so yeah, I was kind of. Were they going to put you up? Because was, San Diego's not cheap, for sure. Yeah, I was like, I thought Denver was expensive, and Port- it's not like Portland's cheap either. That's where I was planning on moving, mm-hmm. but um, I was freelancing, so I didn't. I wasn't in a big hurry. I talked to my aunt. She's like, "Come through. Uh, you can stay with me for essentially as long as you want." I was mm-hmm. like, "Okay, I'll come by and." look up places in Portland, figure out my shit and, um, kind of stayed in her spare room. I could probably tell you a hundred stories about staying with Wheezy, but (laughs) we won't do that. Maybe we save for the next one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, San Diego is interesting. Yeah. So I'm there and I kind of, I forget when exactly when I get there, but I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll stay through the winter because I'm like checking things on in Portland, looking for places to stay and mm-hmm. looking at Portland weather. And that year in particular, <laughs> uh, I guess this was 2016 or, or so it rained for 25 days in a row in Portland, in Portland. Yeah. And, uh, like, fuck that. I was like, fuck <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I stayed in San Diego and got a place of my own and, did you ever go down to Mexico? You know, I, ne- I f- f- never did. Really? Yeah. Fuck. I know. I was kind of, uh, well, I mean, San Diego was great. It was enough for me. Yeah, it's, to- it's totally cool. Um, yeah. What? What's? I was uh, like on a per- permanent vacation. What's the border town? I'm trying to remember. T- Tijuana? Uh, Tijuana. And um, yeah, I've never been down in San Diego long enough. I've only been there twice. And... Uh, it just felt like Tijuana is kind of like the, the, the quick fun escape to go to when you're in San Diego. Yeah. I think it's kind of a, and like I said, is I didn't it overrated go. maybe, uh, I think you can kind of do it like a one of two ways. 
you could go like during the day and do some very little touristy shopping stuff and come mm-hmm. back with some like wooden sculpture type, you know, Mexican souvenirs. Or you can go at night and the total debaucherous yeah. route where the like strip clubs don't close ever and it's in Mexico mm-hmm. and I don't know what goes on. I didn't go, but yeah, <laughs> I've heard stories. So you, you can do it. You can do t- Tijuana a couple different ways. <laughs> I didn't do it, do it either way. Um, but yeah, San Diego is great. I, I lived in downtown for a little while and I lived cool. up in Vista. So those are almost like polarizing geographical locations in mm-hmm. San Diego. Like downtown is essentially the, the southern most part of San Diego and Vista is northern and it's like 35 miles of some of the most beautiful land beautiful, beautiful beaches, beaches like the best oh beaches God. in the country no doubt it was awesome yeah i was like riding my bike up and warm. down the coastal highway <laughs> and yeah i learned how to surf and uh just yeah i was re- kind of reconnected with some old family there it was awesome but it also like sucked my money out because i was sure not working a ton yeah trying to just didn't it was an interesting balance where I didn't have enough time to integrate myself mm-hmm. to start making money and I didn't have enough money to stay there long enough. I feel like San Diego's even more expensive than Los Angeles in some ways. Yeah, maybe. Because I, in Los Angeles, I feel like there's always a way to know someone or figure out some kind of living situation to where it makes sense. In San Diego there isn't necessarily that as much population density or younger people moving there um, to where it's like, yeah, it's going to be pretty expensive to find a cool place to stay. Yeah. Yeah. That might be true. I, it's probably easier to find like a Craigslist roommate roommate in LA, you know, yeah, yeah, who yeah. is not a crazy person. He's like, yo, I'm like <laughs> trying to do this thing. I just, you could probably find a pretty decent person on Craigslist to move in with. Yeah. In LA. Um, it's true. I don't know. San Diego. Maybe old homes. There's some fucking beautiful old homes in San Diego. Yeah. Josh Boston. Again, he had his birthday party. I don't even remember how many years ago and, uh, flew. I flew out for one night just to party from here. Yes. Flew to San Diego for one night. Yes. And then flew back the next day with a raging hangover yeah, it was. A you big, must have been young. Or why? No, it was why like did you do that. I think it was his thirtieth. Yeah, or something. It was a big birthday party, and it was Lord of the Rings themed. And he, uh, I ended up grabbing this like red long sleeve workout mesh shirt that I have, and sharpieing an eyeball on it of the Eye of Sauron. Okay, and then just getting straight hammered in San Diego and having a hilarious time and waking up with the worst hangover and going straight back to the airport. That's, that's crazy. That's amazing though. <laughs> well, you had like, a I mean, what was the two? Why did you have to get back? You had, you couldn't cancel. He had a lot. Well, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's like you had a wedding one day and you had to go to yes. his birthday and then you had to come back for a funeral. But he had like a live soul band in his, in this giant house that he rented with like six other people. Wow. And it was not to be missed. You know, it was, it was amazing. That's cool. Wow. Um, 
so and he you know just the architecture of this house it kind of reminded mm-hmm. me of like american do, Horror do Story. you remember where it was no not at all yeah no close to the airport apparently Ish, maybe maybe yeah, yeah i don't know I, we, I think we went out to coronado the next day okay yeah that's uh, all kind of downtown yeah 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 and uh very cool vibe. Uh, he wor- he w- he was working in uh, this little beachside town called um, Carlsbad. Oh yeah, Carlsbad's amazing. And uh, that that That's was where actually, I learned to surf. That was actually two separate trips. Now that I'm remembering. Um, he worked out of Carlsbad, and the vibe of that town was just so cool. Yeah, like everything kind of comes that classic, down to like, the beach. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, there's just a great surf community. Definitely. It's California, but it doesn't feel outrageous. Yeah, that's all uh yeah, North County, San Diego. So I would I would drive from Vista, which is inland a little bit from Oceanside. So I would drive to Carlsbad mm-hmm. with my bike and I would ride my bike up to Lucadia, which is like not a super long ride, but it's all coastal highway and fucking beautiful and i would go to this bar called the regal seagull <laughs> seagull regal oh, seagull. seagull regal yeah. seagull yeah um something like steven seagull <laughs> <laughs> and uh they had great food and a ton of beer on tap and it was so mellow uh it was like a minnesota vikings bar weirdly enough that's weird mm-hmm. <laughs> which was no draw to me but um but yeah i would do that on a kind of regular basis so i'd park in carlsbad ride my bike up to the seagull, have a couple of drinks, get some food, ride back down and then head back to Aunt Wheezy's house. <laughs> Aunt Wheezy. <laughs> and did the uh, living in California kind of influence you and like just the, I've, I, a lot of places, California included, is one of those places that you don't understand until you step foot into the place and breathe the ocean air and you just like, realize that people are a little more laid back, you know, a little, they're an interesting people. That's yeah. for sure. You know, they don't different priorities. They haven't lived through the winters and the yeah, they summers that we've I'm not gone saying through. You they're know? better. No, I'm not <laughs> by any no, stretch. No, I'm of saying they're, inter- they're an interesting folk. You know what? And I tried, I tried to like put my grind on and you know, I'm a huge fan of skateboarding. We're talking San Diego. This is, yeah, the birthplace of of skateboarding and still a huge Mecca. And I'm trying to like work my way in, but I don't know how to do that. Like other than showing up to these spots, I don't know. It just doesn't work that way. So, um, I'm just doing regular freelance work. I'm just kind of enjoying myself, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> watching my bank account <laughs> dwindle <laughs> and having really the time of my life. Like if there's no work, I'm like, cool, man riding my bike, I'm going to the beach. Nice. Like whatever. Um, but yeah, met some cool people. Um, skateboarded with some cool people. It's like, uh, skateboarders are the funniest, like celebrity non-celebrities. Oh yeah. Cause like, if you know, they're not like super well known unless you know who they are. And then you're like, Oh my God, that's uh, <laughs> so-and-so. And you see skateboarders all the time, which was rad. Did you um, see mid nineties? I have not seen mid nineties. Oh I feel like that movie uh, captures that really well. That's what I hear. I know like the skateboarding kind of industry, it really embraced it. So yeah, it must be legit. I mean, I feel like unless you were in, um, what was the game? The Tony Hawk skateboard game. 
Yeah. Tony Hawk pro skater. Tony Hawk pro skater. There's, you know, that was God, what? 20 years ago now. I think it was 25 years ago. (laughs) Wait, no, no, no. Probably 20. I think it just had an anniversary. There are still so many skateboarders that people don't really know that. Yeah. uh, Well, the internet. uh, Yeah. Well, this is funny. So I'm living downtown and there's this big high rise being erected like two blocks away. And they finished this little courtyard out front sort of first and they don't really have any tenants living there. You could tell, and they're still sort of doing construction. They don't have any security and it's slowly becoming this very popular skate spot. (laughs) And I would ride my bike every day and I'd ride past it. And this, these really awesome ledges and this really fun spot. And I, you know, see some skateboarders there and, uh, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go skate it finally. So I go like early afternoon, like two o'clock. No one's there. I'm like, this is perfect. And then, um, this, these couple guys come up on skateboards. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then I realized one of them's Wes Kramer, who's a pretty heavy hitter, you know, skater of the year, uh, <laughs> 2014 or something. Um, and he's the San Diego guy. And, um, fucking nice as hell he's rolling joints and like his friends he and his friend are like kicking a soccer ball around and we're just skating the spot together and then like slowly but surely like a crew appeared develops there's like 20 of them and some of them are filming some of them are just hanging out chatting wes is rolling joints and (laughs) passing them around and this is i don't smoke and so i have to like continually turn down joints from Wes Kramer, which is a shame. So wait, because, you took a break? Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I wasn't smoking at the time. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, yeah, just like skate, skated with these guys for a couple hours and skated with this one guy in particular who was like filming pretty heavily. And he was very nice. His name was Alexis Ramirez, who I didn't really know at the time. Turns out he's this incredible dude whose career really, took off from there. Anyway, that was kind of like Sandy, like the shit that happened in San Diego, which, yeah. which I miss. Like that was nuts. You know, you'd be like, yeah, at a ramen shop. You're like, Oh God, this is like a bunch of pro skaters here. And <laughs> it was cool. I really wish I could have stuck it out for a couple more years. Sure. Like I, I ended up meeting a guy whose brother was working at trans world magazine. Um, although trans world closed down since, so I don't know. I feel like if maybe I had more time, I could have broken into that scene mm-hmm. a little bit and gotten cool work there. But but you have done skate. Yeah. Work. And I, ironically, I started doing it when I moved back to St. Louis, yeah. like the, the bulk of it. Yeah. That's funny. So after your bank account dwindled, yeah, you were like, fuck it. I had to go. Home. I had to go. Yeah. And I was take me home to St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like such in denial, I think. Um, I feel like I remember that. Are you yeah, I was kind of telling, telling my friend, I was like, ah, I'll, I'll be back. I went on this <laughs> long road trip. I went on a road trip, like up the coast. I was gone for about a month. Um, stayed with friends and camped and ended up coming back, getting back to St. Louis. And even still, I'm like, I'll hang out here and then I'll, I'll go I'll head back out. And I'll head back <laughs> out. Yeah. They still think I'm coming. <laughs> Um, but no, it landed back here, uh, almost two years ago. Exactly. Okay. 
and really yeah. just fell in love with this city again and started hanging out with you and a bunch of these guys and people who I had um, started a relationship with initially before I ever moved away mm-hmm. was able to just co- sort of pick back up where we left off. And then, you know, I did some stuff with you and snake bite and then mm-hmm. doing stuff with Corey and, and then obviously hanging out with old buddies and family. And well, it, it just was, also seems like your career started to like shift into a different gear. Yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, I think thanks to a lot of local mm. people. Um, I think me being back here was, a lot easier to work with me. Like, oh, you're back in town. Yeah, Let, yeah. Let's do this. When you're away, you're sort of off the radar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's less likely that for better and or worse. Yeah. I mean, not that it's impossible to do St. Louis work from there, but right. I there's a cool, um, uh, cool thing here where I think if you're there, if you're visible and you're hanging out, it's like, Oh, let's do something. Yeah. And I fell right into that. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit, doing stuff with you and mm-hmm. parlor and Corey. And it, yeah, really sort of took off. And well, I do. Th- yeah. I've, I've talked about this recently. um, with Kevin Brennan and, uh, St. Louis is going through a sort of Renaissance period phase. I don't know what to call it. You know, there's just more, interest, more money being put into it. Is it sustainable? Time will tell. Um, but it's, uh, there's just a lot of cool things going on. There's a lot of interest back in the city. The blues won their, you know, their, their fucking Stanley cup at like the perfect time. Yeah. Um, to just kind of facilitate even more interest and growth in what's going on here. And, um, it's exciting being here for sure. Yeah, it is. And uh sort of touch back on the on the Denver thing and it I it feeling a little too like disconnected. Or like transplanting. I felt like the identity was sort of lost. Yeah. Um and then even San Diego for me, which is you know, San Diego I think definitely has its identity, but I was so kind of far removed from that. I I'm like a guy from Missouri on the beach, <laughs> like learning how, like I, I you know, probably stuck out like a sore, th- sore thumb, but coming back to St. Louis was so refreshing. I was like, this is like griminess. Yeah. And the winter fucking sucks. It's home. And there's something about that that I like. Yeah. You know, I, I think about this probably more often than it's healthy and also gained a newfound respect for St. Louis when I moved back, but I was only actually gone like three months. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it only even took me that long to be, I went to, uh, Estes park and then traveled in California quite a bit. So similar to you. Yeah. And almost identical. There was a pride that I didn't have before having been away, coming back and saying, you know what? Fuck. Like there are cool people here. There's a, a a cool humility to uh, a lot of people's personalities here that I didn't really recognize when I was here before. And uh, people are just more down to get some shit done. You know, they're humble. Uh, they just don't bullshit you, you know? And, like, I think you run into characters wherever you go, whatever city you, you, you want to visit, to where it's just like, eh, I don't know, like, this person's saying that there's something that they're not. Yeah. 
And I feel that there are for sure people here like that too. But in St. Louis, it's just kind of like your shit gets called out a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. If you're saying you're something, you're not because yeah. it is so small. It is small. It's tight knit. It is. I think, uh, I don't know. I'll be called out on here for something. <laughs> <laughs> I well, said that's something a, wrong. I know. No, you did it. You did it. This is a this is a safe space for saying wrong thing. Okay. Well, in that case, I'm, I'm taking the definition of safe space and flipping it on its head to be like you can say whatever the fuck you want here. That's cool. How many uh, of these have you put out? Um, I put out. I put out, bro. <laughs> Uh, so I put out yesterday the sixth one with Adrian. Yeah. So that was the sixth one. And then you've, I'm sure you've got, I got a a handful on deck. I do. I have, um, my buddy, Indiana Rome. Uh, he's going to be the next one next week, barring any sort of fucking ridiculous, uh, interference from conservative America trying to, have you edited that one? No, not yet. And again, I'm not really doing a whole lot of editing per se. Yeah. Uh, I just keep the conversations pretty free flowing. I don't really take out anything. Gotcha. My whole goal is to eventually go live. Oh, wow. To where people can't like say, hey, can you take out that thing that I said about, you know, smoking weed Yeah, <laughs> or whatever it is? Yeah. Uh, because I think that's kind of like the truest form of doing this um, to where you have to be on your A game in order to tell your story and just have an interesting conversation. So honestly, I like it. All this sounds weird, but like, I kind of feel like I may not be any good at this until episode 100 or 150. Sure. And so I, I, you know, 200 even 200. So shout out to everybody listening to it right (laughs) now on number, whatever this is going to be. Um, because I, I hope it's enjoyable. Uh, and I'm, I'm not, you know, my ego is not, uh, <laughs> you know, alluding or, or, or I'm not, I'm not to the point to where I think that this is the shit. I do think it's interesting. I like talking to everybody. I think I'm talking to very interesting people. I'm trying to get better at yeah, doing ex- these interviews. Excluding this one. The <laughs> ones I've listened to are, are great. This one's going to be great. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) How long do you think we've gone so far? Yeah, too long. No, not too long. Two hours and 12 minutes. That's insane. It's not because people get locked into the flow of the conversation. 12 minutes out of me. (laughs) Well, Kevin Kelly. Until he kicks me out. I have these tantric conversations. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Like Sting. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So what's... um, I, you feel pretty confident now, like in terms of how you're doing things and how you're executing, like you feel like any brief comes your way. You're like, fuck, I know what to do. Or I, I feel like I can handle this. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I do, but there are definitely moments, um, that I encounter regularly where I'm like, I completely forgot how to make art. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, you just did a poster I, for Foxing. Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting. Well, thanks. And I, fi- I feel like the conceptual end of your work is getting better and better. Well, thanks. Well, I feel, I feel like that's a really weird concept. I feel like it looks 
Uh, it looks interesting. I mean, I, there's not like a specific narrative there. Sure. But, um, well, anyway, yeah, thank you. That, that was cool. And I actually really liked that. And that was a struggle. I, I have this thing where um, if someone who I look up to or mm -hmm. like approaches me or a commission from uh, a publication that I feel is sort of prestigious or something, yeah. I, I enter this mode where fanboy like uh, <laughs> a little bit. And then I like, I step outside my boundaries a little and I try to be smarter than I am. And I try, uh, yeah. I try to, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I like go back to this time where I was faking it, where I was like trying to be this illustrator that I'm not. So how do you get back to your true self? It's, you know, really with like the foxing thing, that wasn't too bad, even though that was a big honor for me. I, I'm a big foxing fan and mm. uh, I love doing gig posters. So this was like, it was a big deal. I'm like, this is kind of like the hometown hitters <laughs> and I make gig posters and now I got to make a gig poster for these guys, it was kind of a lot of pressure. Um, and I worked through a lot of shit that just didn't work and then, uh, settled on what eventually came to, um, be approved kind of randomly. Like I had this horse head going, which I knew was going to be the main theme. And then the figures inside the head was kind of a, an, an afterthought really. Where was the inspiration from like a song? Did they play? Um, it, this was actually the only direction they gave me or their manager gave me was to um, sort of interpret their latest album art, which they almost mm. do use horses on all their albums. Mm. But the new, uh, the latest record has, uh, it's a really cool photograph. I, I think it was a St. Louis guy who photographed it. I'm not sure. But it's like uh, this really high contrast on black, these four horses, uh, and you kind of only see their heads and they're sort of, uh, receding into the distance a little. It's really kind of dramatic. Mm -hmm. So I, I, uh, I figured they, they wanted a horse <laughs> when, when they said, can you interpret the That's album? Not, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to do a horse. Got to try to make this horse interesting. <laughs> but, uh, I, anyway, I'm happy with the way it turned out, but a lot of, there are some, times where I get commissioned by um, like a publication. Like I did something for Wired earlier this year, which mm -hmm. I was kind of freaking out about. I've done stuff for Wired UK, like actually quite a bit for Wired UK. But this was the first time Wired hit me up and I like totally like, yeah, nerded out. <laughs> oh shit. I'm working with this art director who's undoubtedly worked with a ton of great illustrators and, yeah, I went into the space where I was like, oh, I got to be smarter than myself to what make you, this work. What do you work. mean? Like, are you second guessing the conceptual aspect and what, I yeah, I think what I elements you're going to incorporate? Stretch it outside of my own comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. Where I think that's where I'm successful is like when Are you I've, trying to like add conceptual layers to a piece? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I think just trying to make it a little more conceptual, which they hired me, so they... They've seen my work. They know I'm not smart. So they <laughs> they wanted something that I could do. And I f like folded and um, they, they liked it and it, it turned out okay. But I still, I'm like, God damn, I've, I fucked that up. 
So sometimes I get in my own way um, the, on those jobs, which is a bummer. I need to quit doing that. But so then do you feel like you rely on your style when, when that happens? Like some style Yeah, tricks? that's another thing. I think I go outside my style a little bit mm. as well. Um, but yeah, anyway, to go back to your, do I feel like I can handle any brief ever? Yeah, I do. And I know I can, but there are these moments where I'm like in full on like (laughs) panic mode. I'm like, God damn it. Like Like what would I am totally fucking this up and it's due in tomorrow morning. What would blow your mind if somebody reached out to you tomorrow? Hmm. Like a skate company or some musical artist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any skate company. <laughs> anyone will do anyone if you're out there uh, I actually I actually have a skateboard graphic coming out for the friendship what's that they're uh they're a little company from LA they, they I've done like three graphics for them oh the tiger the tiger was the first one mm-hmm. um and I've done two others and I actually did this graphic for them a while ago and they, I think they're finally going to release it. He sent me photos of it today. So, do you know any of the uh, Send Help crew in St. Louis? Um, I know like some of the St. Losers guys, uh-huh. like the the Kehoe brothers, yeah, uh, Alex and Gabe. Mm-hmm. Do you know them? No, I know uh, Randy Placer. Okay, yeah, I've met him a couple times. Randy's it's great, dude. Fucking an incredible skateboarder. He is. He's going to be on this podcast. Really, yeah. excellent. Uh, yeah, he, I, yeah, he, I fan out on him. We've met a couple times. You probably wouldn't remember, but uh, <laughs> I, I love uh, Send Help is Rad. That's uh, Todd Bratchard who does all the artwork for that. Sick, mm-hmm. and then of course the Send Help uh, Forehands beer can. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan. Yeah, they're good. They're they're one of the probably only you know, pro level skaters that I know in St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, there's not many pro skaters in St. Louis. No, there's not, you know, there, there's them. And then I, I would say there's a decent skate culture getting yeah. a little bit better and better. Um, there's the skate church, which is kind of like, a, you know, one of St. Louis's better kept secrets. Yeah. Um, went there on a ghost ride. I've actually oh, never what? skated it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you gotta be tight with those dudes in order to get access to the ramps. Well, I think there's like a $5 suggested donation. (laughs) Okay. Oh, I didn't, maybe it was just that night of the ghost ride. Oh yeah. They weren't letting anybody into the actual skate park, skate park part. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, there is, there is a culture here. Uh, there are great skateboarders here. Um, well maybe that's something that you can kind of spearhead even a little bit further too is, uh, Giving, yeah, giving a yeah. visual sense to it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there already is a visual sense. Skateboarding is awesome because, um, like anyone who's starting a skate company or or a skater or or making videos, they're all gonna they're all making their own art as well. Yeah, which is great. It might not be like totally pro, mm-hmm. but it's fucking cool. Like uh, Gabe, who makes the St. Losers videos, he does all the art for, um, for those skate videos, the little animations and stuff. And it's, it's rad. So it's interesting. There's not always like a place for outside artists and skateboarding, which is, 
That's interesting. It is interesting because they're they doing it themselves. They do kinda. it themselves. I mean, I mean, it's most, DIY by its nature for sure. <clears throat> um, and I, I, you know, I'm not super connected with them, and so, but maybe you will be now. Shout out! <laughs> oh boy. So what's next? Uh, any big passion projects? Like I feel like you, you have you know your own aesthetic sense, your own style. You could probably be putting out your own artwork on the regular apparel, things of that nature. Yeah, I would love to do that. That's a little maybe. I mean, you did do some pretty badass apparel mm. available at snakebiteco.com. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I would love to do that on my own someday. I think at this point it's a little maybe outside of my scope, but sure. I, I would love to um, put on a little art show with like four or five large paintings. I did, I did one earlier this summer, a big tiger painted on a door really, mm -hmm. really big. And I think I can pull off like four more. Was it hard to, um, translate what you do to painting? Yeah. I mean, I was very <laughs> formulaic with this, with the tiger yeah. and looking at it now, uh, I would love to go back and just do it way looser and more, sure. more painterly. Cause this, like I use a projector to put it on mm, almost like tracing your own work. It was, which, you know, I had planned out in my head. It was for this art show, which, um, my friend put on in Springfield. So I didn't have a whole lot of time. So I like planned this thing out in my head and it, it worked really well according to plan, but I would ra way rather do something loose and painterly and like, paint that tiger again on the same large scale surface, but just have more fun with it. Cool. And, um, client works coming in pretty steady. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Um, always room for more, always, always room for more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things are good, man. That's awesome. I'm having a good time. Uh, me too. I've dude, I've enjoyed just sitting here drinking some bush lights with you, uh, learning the ins and outs I hope you learned something. I hope uh, Are you, kidding you can me? salvage. This is going to be in the Library of Congress someday. For... <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I think um, I do think that there are a lot of younger people who are currently going through what you went through. Or, and am still going through. And I'm still going through, but you're quite a bit more confident and um, experienced now. But, you know, just like people who are trying to figure out their way in the educational system, mm -hmm. they can't draw like you say you can't either, but they also feel some sort of inclination towards the visual, visual arts and they want to know more about it and know that it's even feasible. And to me, like you represent one of the greatest examples of doing that because you have been doing it your whole way, your own way, the entire way. And, um, you know, that's to me, that's like the, that's the whole reason I'm doing this fucking podcast. You know, like the people that are working outside the mainstream to have a living yeah. doing their, doing what they love. So I think yeah. you, I think you really exemplify that. And, um, I think it, uh, makes a lot of sense to have young people hear this conversation and know that it's okay for them to do that, to take that route and to not have to be able to draw that still life of fruit and, berries 
perfectly and that they can still have an interesting creative life doing something that they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for yeah. all the kind words and dude, anytime. Yeah, I can't wait till uh, I can't wait till the next time. I say that all the time, but I I do feel like I'm laying down the groundwork of all these interesting people I know. Yeah, their, their history, their foundations, and then anytime I'll do like the next time they come on, we can just shoot the shit about interesting stuff. Yeah, I feel like maybe the next time more we do it, you, story you can you can get something usable. I think I think <laughs> I you should get a, like a little panel of past guests. I mean, do all do these people that you've had on? Do they all know each other pretty well, or some no. of them not really? No, I think no. it'd be because I feel like well, that's in the, the ones that I've listened to. I feel like I know them. That's you cool. know kind of better. I would it would be really interesting to sit down next to like Mike Spakowski and uh, Boston and yeah. There's um, you know it's funny you say that. And while I do take this somewhat lightly. I also feel that like I have to build off of um, the people that have influenced me to do a podcast. And so I can't just like sit back and just record podcasts and just like put them out. Um, I think I also have to kind of um, use this as a trampoline for other stuff. And so I've got some ideas to kind of bring everyone together, maybe every 10 to 12 episodes. Yeah. And maybe it's not even with the intention of creating another piece of content. Right. But just getting these folks together um, from St. Louis and from outside of St. Louis to just meet each other uh, and talk and potentially collaborate. Because I am, I will say the one thing that I am picky about is the people that I am interviewing. Um, and I'm really trying to, for lack of a fucking better word, curate uh, a cool group of folks that I look up to and that I have a good time with and that have something interesting to say. Well, like I said, I'm very, very flattered to be included in that group. Yeah. That's nuts, man. Get out of here, Dr. Slam. Where did, <laughs> wait, where did Dr. Slam come from? Man, Because that's your social handle. Yeah, Instagram. I wish I had a cool story. I don't. It's an arbitrary. You know, I plucked it out of a tree, and it kind you know, of. Reminds I think me. I looked for regular names. It uh, reminds Tyler me Tyler Gross illustration. It just wasn't there, and uh, yeah, Doctor Slime. It reminds me of that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles influence, maybe, and like uh, Krang, yeah. Secret of the Ooze. And yep, yep. Yeah, I love it now. I didn't think anything of it then. Um, but it's sort of taken on a form of itself. Well, I think there's, I think Dr. Slime and doing stuff under that moniker has uh, a future to it. Yeah, I hope so. What, uh, where can people find you? Uh, yeah. At Dr. Slime on Instagram, Mm -hmm. grossillustration.com. Which I also, on the on the www. I love the play on your name. I mean, it's not even intentional. No, that's just yeah, my name. It's just your goddamn name. <laughs> what um, that even, what is gross? Is it It's German. German. Okay, that's what yeah. I thought. Because it means large. It means large. Yeah. Yes. Or like a gross of like 144 hours. 144, yeah. <laughs> bottle rockets. Um, um Yeah, that's about all you that's where you can find me. Cool. Other than that, I'm 
non-existent. No bullshit. You're, uh, I'll probably be at a, a park or a bar <laughs> or a, on a ghost ride on a ghost ride. Yeah. I feel like, um, I was happy to know you way back before your, uh, evolution into doing a lot of beautiful work and you're kind of tapped into at least a local zeitgeist of doing interesting events and, um, concerts and working with musical artists and bigger brands. Um, and so I, I'm just pumped. I, I, I'm looking forward to the next things that you put out. I hope to work together more with you in the future. Uh, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad we've reconnected as well. And but yeah, it's fun hanging out. Thanks for having me. Let's go get something nuts. to eat. Let's get Dude, some I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. Where do you want to go? Uh, what's Is there a place called uh, Small... Fuck it. I don't know. <laughs> I forget what it's called. I think we should go B-side. Okay. The Cherokee. Frito Bandito. Maybe a hamburger. I've never had a burger there. Oh, shit. All right. Let's do it. Cheers, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate you. I love you. Ditto. Cheers. Yep, yep, that's Tyler Gross, man. German for large and in charge, or 144 items in a parcel. <laughs> he is such a delight to talk to. Funny dude, laid back, makes you feel laid back when you're talking to him. Uh, you know, just got into so many different things. I loved it. A lot of, lot of weed talk, a lot of college talk. A lot of uh, Eric Gill having sex with his dog. Talk. I know I'm bringing that up again. Isn't that crazy, though? What a fucking creep. Also with his family. Ugh. You know, ugh. like I said, it's a whole other podcast. Like, if that had happened any sooner, we, nobody would be using those typefaces. But that is kind of the way it is now. You find out something bad about them, and all of a sudden you feel like you can't have anything to do with them. Something tells me, though, that his typefaces will be used many more times in the future, and nobody will really try to raise a stink or cancel him. Um, I've got these podcasts down to a fucking rhythm. <laughs> I do. Got another one coming out next week, and then I'm uh, eventually going to have 10, which will be the ultimate uh, in making sure that your podcast stays alive. I don't know about that. But we'll be getting Mike Spikowski back on here for his second volume. Second 2.0. Mike Spikowski. I don't know how I'm going to denote that. I think uh, maybe like hash marks or tally marks like you're in prison. Just put two of them right next to his name. I don't even know if I'm doing names. Maybe Roman numerals. That sounds good. Anyways, this isn't stuff that I need to verbalize or try to think out at the end of a podcast. Why are you even still listening? Read a book. Go outside. Call your parents. Tell your mother you love her. Tell your mother I love her. Because I do. I love you too. Peace out.